This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Nadia DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandup. Hi, this is Lee Bermeo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybrook. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. And this is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fertaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 75. I'm your host, Dustin, and today we have with us... You got Josh. This is Don. And this is Joe. And we are bringing you the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of August 14th through August 27th. This is the last episode before the DC Universe relaunch. We have a total of nine books. Unfortunately, one book has escaped our grasp, and we are not going to be reviewing it on the podcast. Um, And that is DC Retroactive Batman the the 90s. Unfortunately, despite the fact that it is a great series, all of us were not able to actually get a hold of this comic because a lot of comic shops are sold out of it. So because of that, we aren't going to be reviewing it on this podcast. And don't want to bring it up on the next podcast because... I guess you could say we're relaunching the comic podcast, although we will not be renumbering. With episode 76, we're going to be covering the new DC Universe, but in addition to that, we're going to be doing a little bit of a co-host shuffle. This is actually Josh's last episode on the comic cast, and we're going to have a little bit of a discussion about that after our comic book reviews and bat books for beginners. But we will be welcoming a new co-host on board to with take us into the new books for the new DC Universe. So, I can look forward to a review of the DC Retroactive 90s Batman one-shot on the website in the very near future. But until then, we do have nine books and we do have some news on the heels of the relaunch. Now, you'll probably be listening to this podcast after Justice League 1 and Flashpoint number 5 have been released. But of course... It's not, you'll still be listening to this probably before the actual Batman books get relaunched. So this is the last official episode with the the old DC Universe, as some people are calling it, but with the the same old Batman Universe with some variant changes. So let's get into some of the comic news. A lot of this news obviously is going to deal with the relaunch. Actually, I think all of our news this episode deals with the relaunch or things coming out in the future, because otherwise, why would it be news? So, let's get into comic news, and then we'll get into our reviews. Where'd you get a live fish, Batman? The true crime fighter always carries everything he needs in his utility belt, Robin. So, the very first thing we have is on August 16th. There was a little bit new information that popped up about Batman Earth-1. What? Batman Earth-1? Yeah, I know. We haven't really talked about this for quite some time because it's been an amazing amount of time since DC first announced this series. And unfortunately, we haven't heard a whole lot about it. I think it was October of 2009 when it was first announced. Same time as Superman Earth-1. Superman Earth-1 has been released, sold... You know, had had great sales and is already in the form of writing a sequel to the first one. But yet, Batman Earth 1 still hasn't happened. Now, we have had updates randomly here and there. We heard a number of different things. I think the last time we heard anything was actually 
I want to say it was New York Comic Con last year, Jeff Johns or somebody said something about, oh, maybe 2012. But I don't think when they announced in 2009 that was ever the intent for it to come out three years later. But as it turns out, on August 16th, Amazon posted up details about Batman Earth 1 on their site. And it currently lists the release date as May 8th, 2012. Now, I assume Amazon's getting their news from DC in some capacity, but at the same time, solicitations aren't out for May 8th. But at the same time, I imagine that, you know, if, if DC's really trying to get the non comic book readers interested, I guess posting a release date on a website that's not comic book related might be the best idea. They did give an actual solicitation for the series as well as the cover, both of which we have never actually seen. And real quick, the solicitation, I'm not even going to bother reading through it because all it is is just naming the creators on it and saying that you know it's a completely different take on Batman and it's essentially saying that it's following in the same vein as Superman Your Earth One, which did great on the New York Times bestseller list. So not a whole lot about the actual series. It's still going to be, obviously, quite some time before we actually see a solicitation for this from DC, unless, of course, we actually hear some news about the release before then. Well, at least now it's coming out at the same time as The Dark Knight Rises, which that'll be some good buzz. That that would that will help this do just as well, if not better, than Superman Earth-1. I do wonder if this whole Earth-1 idea is redundant now because of the... Uh, DC new, especially since Jeff Johns is heavily involved in both, but I guess that'll remain to be seen. I'm not surprised to see it on Amazon. I often see books on there before before they're solicited. Alright, so then the next bit of news we have comes on August 17th, or this was an interview done by Comic Book Resources with Peter Tomasi, who will be writing Batman and Robin the second time in under a year, but this time in the pages of Batman and Robin number one. So I'll read for comic book resources, and Josh will read for Peter Tomasi. Has the Bruce Wayne we know from 70-plus years of continuity changed at all coming out of the relaunch? In terms of the relaunch, Bruce Wayne Batman is iconic. He doesn't need to be changed. He's not broken, and he doesn't need to be fixed or tweaked. Everything that you need to tell a good Batman story is all right there. It simply boils down to who is doing the character story mining at the moment. Every writer has his own take on Batman, but the bedrock and what makes the character great have been and always will be there. We lucky Batman writers through the years just pick different ores or stones to polish and hope we leave the mythology a little richer during our time on the book. I know it's early, but can you give us a tease of what we will see in the opening arc and beyond? Will we be seeing a healthy dose of classic rogues or new villains come to the table? I don't want to give away too much this early, but Bruce and Damien are at odds with each other. Bruce struggles to get a handle on Damien and his past and trying his best to teach his son what it means to be a just and moral person, but making plenty of parenting mistakes along the way. Bruce sees Damien as being broken and is on a mission to fix him. Damien, on the other hand, only wants to be accepted by his father for who he is. He doesn't want to be looked at as some science project that needs to be modified. Deep down, though, Damien's conflicted himself as his past and present are locked in a constant battle that threatens to take a terrible toll on him. In the end, this series will be about two people trying to not only understand each other, but also a part of themselves that they haven't come to terms with yet. Oh, and regarding the classic rogues... I'm going to continue to introduce new villains as much as possible. The Furgar arc begins with a new villain called No Body, 
who ties to Bruce's past. I have some ideas about bringing in a classic rogue or two, but that may be a little further down the road. How tightly will Batman and Robin tie into the other Bat First books? Each of the Bat books are working on distinct stories, and each of them has a different feel, a different tone. My book's angled with keeping the relationship of Bruce and Damien in uniform and out front and center. With that aside, these building blocks going on within the story that will make some resonance on a later date. Alright, so that's the end of that interview. Again, not too much. We already knew about the character Nobody. And I'm not that surprised that Peter Tomasi is going to be trying to introduce as many new villains as possible because he didn't. He introduced a new villain, that White Knight character, when he wrote Batman Robin the last time. So I, I, I didn't really foresee that much different. Again, another creator on the Bat Books is saying that the continuity for Batman is not changing. I, I'm guessing when they're saying this, they're not actually referring to Batgirl because I'm thinking that everyone's considering Batgirl not part of Batman. <laughs> I think that whenever they say nothing's changing, they have selective memory when forgetting about Batgirl. Because Batgirl is, is classified under the new DC New. If you notice, everything is classified into sections like Superman, Batman, Justice League, Young Justice, and DC Universe Presents. And Batgirl is a Batman title officially. So I think they just have selective memory of that. Well, whether the changes are like little or big, you can't say that his history is not changing because like just the very fact that like the Teen Titans history is like going to be heavily modified, that affects a huge chunk of Dick Grayson's history, which like it or not affects Bruce Wayne's history. Like even if his stuff isn't being changed, it's uh, uh, other people. It's through his interactions with other people this isn't the same batman i agree and even though he's saying nothing's changing even in the same paragraph he's saying how damien is conflicted with himself and his past which isn't the damien that we have now in the comics so yeah and then on top of that obviously bruce hasn't been working with damien and the whole bruce didn't want to work with damien and thought it was a better idea for dick to be working with damien that's a pretty big change in and of itself because what made him change his mind other than Dick not being Batman anymore, so... Well, Tomasi says that, you know, Bruce is trying to reconcile with Damien's past and he's trying to turn him into a moral person. It really sounds like he's not been reading the books. I mean, Damien can have an attitude every now and then, but he's not a bad... He's, he's a superhero. I don't like the writer of the book saying that Batman is trying to teach Damien how to be a hero because we've done this already. That does kind of give me pause and, and give me some trepidation about the about the the story arc going into it. I'm also nervous about trying to introduce as many new villains as possible because there are so many already in the Batman universe. I mean, we said this before, but I really don't think we need more villains. We'll have to wait and see to see what exactly he does, but let's just move on for now. The next thing we've got comes on August 22nd. Newsarama did an interview with J.H. Williams about his run on Batwoman his future run on Batwoman, which actually is coming out. But he, he talked a little bit about a wide variety of different things as far as we can expect coming out of not just the first story arc, but a lot of what's already been done. With all this extra time that they had because the series was originally delayed from the April, April or May, I can't remember which one it was, sometime earlier in the year, it was delayed back to September which made more sense because it is a number one, and God help us if they launched it in May and then ended up only having three issues and then decided to launch it with the number one again. Dark Knight's already on that borderline. No, they crossed that borderline. But 
Nonetheless, they talk to J.H. Williams, so I will read for Newsarama, and Don will read for J.H. Williams. Did your plans for the comic change, or was your first issue somewhat isolated from the rest of the DCU anyway? It changed a couple of things in minor ways. There were things we had to go back and figure out in a new way. A little bit of the frustrating part was that some of it had already been drawn. So when we got this new plan from DC, they pointed out these particular new developed continuity problems. But it was all pretty minor stuff in comparison to our plan. Even though Batwoman was going to be plugged into the DCU with the Bat Universe, we tried to write scenes in a way where it wasn't going to rely completely on other things. We really wanted the story to be able to stand on its own and not rely on other components. So it wasn't that big of a change, really. We talked before about the opportunity to write Batwoman, and you spoke about how you're continuing some of the things you established about the character when you drew Greg Ruckus' run on the character in Detective Comics. But now you're launching a new number one. Who is Batwoman in your book? She's socialite Kate Kane, daughter of Colonel Jacob Kane, who went from being a West Point cadet to being ousted because of don't-ask-don't-tell policies. Then she ended up going wayward for a while, trying to figure out how she could best serve herself and the country, because that's what she had planned to do. She ended up having an encounter with Batman, and she thought, hey, I could do that. Then she pursues the Batwoman role from that point forward with the help of her father. Her twin sister and mother have been killed in what appeared to be a terrorist incident, but she later finds out her sister had returned as the villain named Alice, and she has the, the impression her father knew that dead didn't really mean dead. So at the beginning of our series, which was what we reinforced with Batwoman Zero, her relationship with her father is affected by these past lies, and that makes an interesting dynamic because he helped her become Batwoman. That's where the character is at the beginning of the series. It sounds like she's going through some personal challenges. Is she also going to be challenged on the streets of Gotham? Yeah, we have a plan to develop a Rhodes Gallery for her because every good hero needs a strong set of villains to define them as a hero. And right now, as it stands, she really only has Alice and the religion of crime as any real adversaries that she can claim as her own to define her as a heroic character. So our main goal over the first year or even more than a year during the first three arcs of the series, is to really solidify her own little corner of the universe by developing several villains for her that will hopefully find a recurring life in some degree and set the stage for her. All right, so that's the end of that interview. One thing that is interesting, and I know we didn't post it on the website because there's been so much art that's been released through a wide variety of different avenues for the New 52 that it's not worth posting every single piece of art but I know that I saw a piece of art for Batwoman number one and I'm pretty sure it's a splash page and I'm almost positive that the page that they showed showed some sort of mistake having to do with the continuity and I'm, I get this I can't remember exactly what it was but I get this odd feeling that it was I know what it they is showed, they showed Batman and he had the yellow emblem which is different than what he's supposed to have with the new 52 yes exactly so I have to wonder if that's going to be still in the the series, or if that was something that they had before, and now they, you know, it's been it'll be fixed for the final issue. But, I saw uh, that as well. I'll be interested. The only other thing it could be is possibly like a flashback or something. Yeah. The, the funny thing about this book's delay is, is the first time you see Batwoman before Fifty Two, it's in the last issue of Infinite Crisis. There's like a big splash page of like. DC heroes and like Batwoman's there like kind of cameoed so the last time we saw her was when history and continuity changed and it took like the next time that there was a major crisis changing continuity for her to get her own book 
All right, so then the next bit we've got comes on August 23rd. The LA Times revealed the variant cover for Batman number one, but also in that same article, they revealed that Justice League number one has pre orders surpassing 200,000 copies, and six other issues in the, the new 52 have pre orders that surpass 100,000 issues. Both of those series, Batman and Detective Comics, both have over 100,000 issues. Now, what is interesting is if you put this into comparison to what a normal month of comics is, for the month of July, Batman had sold a total of 51,000 issues, and Detective Comics, despite the fact that it had a double ship in the month, it averages right around 40,000 issues for the month. So it's, it's a much higher number than what we would normally see for both of those series, and the extremely interesting thing about this is clearly in my opinion one of the reasons that scott snyder's being moved over to batman is because batman as a title sells better than detective comics just because batman is on the title and not detective comics because nobody can argue that the work that's been in batman recently has not been nearly as good as the work in detective comics but because batman has that title it sells better than Detective Comics month in and month out. So I think that has a lot to do with the fact that, you know, the namesake of Batman is is the series name, and that's why it sells so much. So getting Scott Snyder on that title is probably going to get that book to sell a lot more. All right, and then the last bit of news comes from the uh, weekend of August 26th to the 28th. Now, both comic book resources and Newsarama were in attendance of Fan Expo in Canada, and this is actually the last convention before the DC relaunch, and so there was a number of different creators, as well as Dan DiDio, in attendance at this convention, and DC had a pretty big presence in general, but they did have a panel talking about the New 52, and there's a couple little bits that were mentioned about Batman, so I'm going to go over some of these. Some of these, well, obviously, we'll talk about a little bit more than others, and some of these... The problem is that everybody reports things a little bit differently when when they're reporting on what exactly was said. So some of these are kind of a mix between the two different sites and what I determined they were both trying to say. So bear with me if it's if it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Number one, even though Justice League is considered year one for the relaunch, Batman has still been operating as a hero, just not in the public eye. Well, we've already known that. Number two. Detective Comics will feature solo detective stories for Bruce Wayne and have a much smaller cast of characters than in Daniel's Batman run. Commissioner Gordon, Alfred, and Batman will be the main cast. Bruce will have another love interest, and it won't be Catwoman. Okay, so I guess we'll take these comments one by one. This is not a very big surprise. Reading the recap of exactly what happened, Tony Daniel specifically said that when he was doing Batman, he had a lot of other characters like Catgirl and the Falcones and Riddler and Two-Face and Gilda Dent, all these other characters that he thought would add something to the story, but ultimately he felt like it actually hindered the story. Well, he's not that far off from what a lot of other people, including ourselves, think, because I think, at least in my opinion, these other guys can speak their own minds, that I think he didn't need nearly as many characters as he did, and it was almost... It's, I wouldn't say it was nearly as bad as what David Finch did with Batman the Dark Knight, 
in a lot of different senses, there was a lot of unnecessary uses of characters in the in Batman when Tony Daniel was writing the story. What was the Riddler doing in the title at the time? I, I still don't know. I mean, he was trying to find like history of his past or whatever. He couldn't go on the internet. I like that he was using those characters. It's just that he was using those characters at the same time, and it got too conglomerated. So this has actually got me excited for Daniel's run, which I wasn't really expecting. Now that he's supposedly doing smaller stories with less characters, I, I think he's going to be able to pull it off because I, I think he'll do better when he's not juggling too many things. As for the love interest, I'm annoyed that there is another woman who Bruce is going to be infatuated with, but I am glad it's not Catwoman because I really think that's quite a fanboy sort of relationship, which I get really bored of. The next bit, number three, is Tony Daniel mentioned that his stories for Detective Comics could run between two and three years, and he has a major storyline coming in 2012. They didn't call it an event, but they specifically said that based on the plans that he has, his stories could run between two and three years. Now, that doesn't mean they will run that long. That just means he has stories that could last that long. Is that two or three years in real time or comic book time? Because that's about one issue. Real time. Okay. Comics are so ADD these days with runs. Like, I aside from like your Grant Morrison's, like how many people like are, are kept on a title for more than like a year or two years before DC says like, okay, you know, new writer time. In one regard, I mean Scott Snyder's been on Detective Comics since November and he's been consistent. And I don't know that. Well, I mean he's moving over to Batman. So I guess that is a change due to DC saying, okay, change over to Batman. But I think at the same time, looking at it from the perspective of, well, he's been writing comics since last November, and if he continues to write Batman, he could be the first writer in a while that could be consecutive. Now, in some regards, Tony Daniel has been also writing Batman since... Well, he wrote Battle for the Cowl back in 2000, you know, early 2009. So, for the most part, if you look at it like that, and then he didn't do the first arc of Batman, but he's done issues of Batman, you know, sporadically with breaks here and there f- since 2009. He's been on it for a while. So, number four, we have Cassandra Kane and Stephanie Brown do exist in the relaunch, but Stephanie will exist as spoiler. Okay, now this it would spark some discussion. However, before anybody jumps to certain conclusions, I would say that, to me, that makes sense. If she is going to exist, unless she's just a civilian character, how else would she exist? But as one of her, you know, more notable roles, a spoiler, if Barbara Gordon is Batgirl. So, I don't really have an opinion on it too much, and I'm actually kind of glad that she does exist. Her being a spoiler doesn't really bother me, because if Barbara's Batgirl and, and Cassandra's Black Bat, then... Unless Stephanie cuts up with a new identity, I mean, spoilers are familiar territory, so that sounds fine to me. See, it's... The thing about these, like, reboots and relaunches, new continuities, at the conventions, they pretty much, like, make up these rules that, like, never even make it into the books. Like, if someone says, uh, yeah, Stephanie was never Batgirl, you know, like, if Dan DeVidio decides that he didn't like her being Batgirl, he could say at a convention, uh, okay, she was never Batgirl, and all of a sudden fans take it as history, and I remember after Infinite Crisis... I think it was Didio, like, said that that there was never a Matrix Supergirl. 
And then, like, another writer said, I don't know what he's talking about. There was a Matrix Supergirl. So, like, until it's in the actual books, who knows at this point? I think that it's good that she's, at least in the books, and it was either spoiler or something like Red Bat, so... She'll be the new Black Bat. Cassandra will, like, take off her costume on a roof again. Like, I decided that there's no point. It'd be funny if someone actually tried to do that just to, like, poke fun at the situation. Kiss me off. Alright, and then the other bit about Stephanie Brown is... Eddie Braganza stated this about Stephanie. Just because Stephanie Brown isn't Batgirl doesn't mean she isn't around. You'll see. Now, essentially what I get from that comment is... She'll probably be making appearances in other books as spoiler... I don't see them doing a spoiler series. I I don't... I mean, as as great as Batgirl was, I don't think spoiler would sell very well just because it's spoiler. So, and not to, and not to say that Batgirl was bad because it wasn't, but it definitely didn't have great sales numbers. So I can't imagine Stephanie Brown getting her own series as spoiler. Maybe a miniseries, that's a possibility. Those are always obviously possibilities because they're only for an ex- a certain amount of time. But I think she's probably going to be making appearances in other titles more regularly. Which will be interesting because one title I would imagine her in would be Tim Drake's series. But that's happening in Teen Titans and I don't see that happening. I was just about to say, what title would she appear in? Because she really has the biggest relationship with Tim. Could it be... I mean, obviously Batgirl, I suppose, but... When Batman Incorporated's relaunched, probably. I don't know. I mean, like, do you do you guys think that she would have she has a larger role with with Barbara now than she does with Tim? Because I mean, even though even though she hasn't really had a whole lot of interaction with Tim over the past two years or so, I don't think that. There's a reason for that. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you know Barbara Gordon, because her whole universe in some senses is, is being changed around. I don't know that that relationship that she's had with Barbara is going to still be intact as if it was, you know, this month in August with issue 24 of Batgirl. So it's hard to say that she's had a... that even though her relationship has been probably more centric on Barbara Gordon, it it's, it might not even have an effect with everything that's going on with Barbara Gordon. So the question is, would she appear in Batgirl? That's another question because... I don't know that DC would want to play the game where they have somebody who was Batgirl or two different characters, Cassandra and Stephanie, appearing in Batgirl just to <laughs> say to the fans, hey, guess what? Your characters aren't Batgirl, but we're going to have them appear in Batgirl. That would piss me off. Be, yeah, they would, I, think they, I, think, I don't think you'd be the only one to be pissing off. I think it'd piss off a lot of people. It would also complicate things too much because they've de-aged Barbara and they'd have to completely rewrite her relationship with Stephanie almost because now they're almost contemporaries age-wise. And, like, I think that they're going to – that they'd want to try and, like, take the attention away from, like, Barbara in that mentorship, like, in that, like, big sister, like, motherly figure role. So – and having Stephanie around would be very, very counteractive to that. And to be quite honest, too, you know, it's – Stephanie shouldn't appear in these early – except for, like, a flashback in the first issue to explain why she's not Batgirl anymore or something. Like, Stephanie gives Barbara, like, the costume, like, here in the rain, like, here – we're playing hot potato with the Batgirl costume. Your turn <laughs> until the next. But I, it's because they're you're trying to sell Barbara as Batgirl again, and like you need to. I don't want to say cut ties, but you know you can't you can't dwell on the last quote unquote volume of Batgirl too much to do that. You have to establish your book, your setting instead of making people miss the other book. 
Well, did they say, didn't they say that they're not going to explain right off the bat how Barbara became Batgirl? Like, not in the first issue or two? Did somebody come out and say that? Yeah, they did say that. They did say that they're not going to explain it right away. Oh, was that specific to Batgirl, or was that, in general, the D- the new DC universe? They're just, they're not going to no, jump was, straight I in. I think specific. I think Gail Simone specifically said... I think it was at San Diego that she said that that last panel on Sunday. You know why that is? She, it's in case it all goes really wrong and she can write it all off as a dream sequence. Either that or until she starts appearing. We have to wait till Barbara. To, to confirm it's not a dream sequence, we'll have to wait for Barbara Gordon to be Batgirl in another Batman. All right, and then uh, the only other l- little bit was somebody asked about Harley Quinn, and they said Harley Quinn is still crazy. Surprise, surprise. Uh, that's not really that the big hell surprise. Country, Harley Quinn will be in Suicide Squad, which we have every intention to cover on the website. It won't be covered on the podcast, but we're still looking for a, a, you know a number of people to review books on the website. If you're interested, be sure to email us and let us know. You can find all of our contact information on the website. At the bottom of every page, contact us. I don't want to say specifically email it to podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net, but if you cannot find any of our other email addresses, you surely can email that one. So with that, that's going to bring us into comic book reviews, which the very first one we have is the Batman 80-page Giant 2011. Alright, Batman 80 Page Giant 2011. If you folks are looking for a super detailed review, let's be real, this is an 80 page giant. But we do get some, you know, good vignette stories. Others, the first one's called Intervention. And it's about a girl who lives in a poor area of Gotham, and Bruce Wayne, like, in his Bruce Wayne guys, not as Batman, he's taking this girl under his wing, and he's trying to get her off of drugs and out of her bad home situation, and... It doesn't go too well. The second story, it's kind of this interesting thing. This guy is suiting up in some sort of armor that you assume that the cops or the government gave him. And apparently they do this once a year. And it's basically like they beta test this armor against Batman. And every year Batman beats them. And like it's a new person each year that tries it. And Batman's like, okay, who sent you this time? And they take what they lost against Batman and use it to do the next phase of the suit for the next year. We do find out at the end of the story when this guy, you know, escapes with his life and everything intact that apparently, like, it's not, you know, this, the law or, like, the FBI who are behind this. It's some sort of criminals because they shoot the guy in the head. We get a story of Batman and Catwoman, their usual love-hate relationship. They fight, but they love each other. Like, There's, like, a panel. They're, like, she pins him to the ground, and then, like, Batman Returns style. They, like, look at each other, gaze into the night, but then Batman gets away, and then... They both think about each other. There's a story about Mr. Zaz and a little fangirl of his who, like, wants to... She's, like... Mr. Zaz is her idol, and she wants to start killing people and marking her body just like him. That was an interesting story. I feel like I read it somewhere before, but I couldn't recall where. There's a story about the Riddler taking over a game show, and... Instead of instead of fighting Batman, though, he fights the question, and, like, it's really weird how, like, she comes into the story, like, the smoke screen, like, you know, goes around the studio, and then all of a sudden you see, like, on the, like, Jumbotron TV screams the question, she says, no one comes to me for answers. So it's the Riddler versus the question, a match made in heaven, which, that was a funnish story. Then we get a story with um, the Scarecrow looking very, very much like he did in the Nolan universe. 
and a guy who joined the Scarecrow's gang. And basically, this guy, his name is Nick Pierce. He did something to his body where he can't feel fear because all his life he's wanted to be a supervillain. He saw Batman and Robin fight the Riddler when he was younger and it stayed with him. So he went to Blackgate, you know, he learned things about the criminals and he figured that if he got his fear surgically removed, whatever that means, and then went out and fought Batman and then realized, oh great, Batman's also a good fighter, so not having fear doesn't do me any good. So he goes back to Blackgate and says, now I have to learn how to fight better and purposely starts fights in the yard. There's a story about a little boy who has some handicap deficiencies. He can't talk, and his parents are fighting over it because they each blame the other person. Solomon Grundy kidnaps the boy. Batman saves him, and after Batman leaves and the boy is safely in his bedroom with his parents none the wiser, the boy says Batman. It makes his parents so excited that he's talking, and they hug him and embrace as the kid repeats Batman, 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 and that closes the Batman 80-page giant for 2011. 80 Page Giants, first things first, I love the cover of the issue uh, by Dustin Wen. I would like to get this as a print or a poster, I would love that. The first story, Intervention by Eric Hobbs, kind of interesting, but at the same time, very pointless. Didn't have a whole lot of interest. I didn't think the art was that bad. It reminded me of a more stylized Dustin Wen in some sense. The, the next one, Short Straw. The problem with that story is, it, to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And what's interesting is the uh, one of the writers for the stories actually used to be an editor or is still an editor of, at Newsrama. And I thought the idea of it was kind of cool, but the problem is that it's building on something that doesn't actually exist. It's essentially making it seem like this is something that happens regularly. You don't know who's behind it. We're never going to know who's behind it because... This we're never going to see more of this story, so there's not really a whole lot there. I thought the art was okay. The unspoken one I thought was actually pretty good. It's interesting because they actually had writers that were designated for it. There wasn't any dialogue, but there didn't need to be because the art was very good at describing exactly what was going on. The Zaz story on the waterfront, it's interesting that the writer was Guy Major specifically because... He's not a writer, he's a colorist, but I guess uh, he got his chance to write a story. For the most part, it wasn't that bad, but again, it's an 80-page giant. The next one with the question, the Riddler, Danger Drive. I honestly, I didn't like this at all. I thought it was kind of stupid. Yeah, it's a con- it's a cool concept to have the Riddler go against the question, but overall, I think there was way too much dialogue, and I didn't like the characterization of the Riddler. But then again, I haven't really liked the characterization of the Riddler for quite some time. The next one, Fearless, another kind of pointless one. I didn't like it. Nothing good to say about that. The last one was Solomon Grundy. I thought this one was actually pretty good. I thought it was an interesting story specifically because of... It's one of those stories where, you know, Batman is kind of taking the backseat to something. And he just... His, his effect on the city is felt in another way besides, you know, him ridding the city of crime. And I thought that was kind of cool, specifically because the boy, you know, who hasn't talked all his life is able to talk just because of, you know, the short interaction that he's had with Batman and Solomon Grundy. So I thought that one was probably the best of best of all of them, in my opinion. Overall, I'm going to give the 80-page giant uh, 2.5 out of 5 because most of it was was just all right. It felt like because of when this came out that, like, they had some of these stockpiles as either fill-in issues or... 
you know, to put, like, as backup features or to use as an annual or something. Like, they had these lying around, and, well, since some of them might become useless after next month, they might as well put them out now. Some of these I enjoyed. Some of these were just, like, very, very throwaway. Like, I actually enjoyed the one about the guy in the stealth suits. Like, just, it's, it's a very, very cliche concept but the way it was written i found myself enjoying that story it was engaging the art was went from mediocre to really good i like the one about the guy who like basically grew, grew up worshiping supervillains. although the whole thing he surgically removed his fear really that was kind of impossible dumb. yeah the story with the parents and the kid who doesn't talk like well, I don't want to say it's it's pandering because it kind of worked, but like that <laughs> that was a cheap shot, man. That touched me because like I I work with kids like that, and I actually see like cases where like it does like tear the parents apart and like hurt their marriage, and they each fight and they blame each other, and then the joy that they felt when he overcame his handicap, like that's what I deal with every day in my job. So <laughs> three and a half out of five batterings for inconsistence, you know, good and bad. These eighty page giants are kind of always mixed bags. They always have a, a, a wonderful Dustin Wind cover, or at least they have lately. And they have, to me, stories that range from decent to, to wastes of time. I thought these were these were okay for, for this go around. I like the, the different aspects of Batman's lives that he affects with his his being Batman. I like I like the intervention story. I thought it was an interesting story to have, like... It was more about a Bruce Wayne thing than a Batman thing. I thought that the second story was kind of... Matt, I didn't really have too much of an opinion on that. I thought the third story with, like, the guy in the armor, a lot of that felt very Dark Knight to me. It was just, like, the, the big leap off the building or whatever. I don't know. The Zaz story, I thought, was sort of... I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of mixed on that one. That kind of felt sensationalistic to me. The Catwoman story was okay, although the art ranged from good to bad, in my opinion. The Riddler story, I liked him going up against the question, but... I don't like the interpretation of a Riddler who looks like Jim Carrey on steroids. Speaking of Jim Carrey, in the Batman Catwoman story, they're using the Batman Forever Batmobile, which is I thought was neat. And the last story I thought was nice. I didn't think it was great, but I thought it was nice. This was one of the better eight-page giants, I thought. It wasn't great, but they really are. And it was, it was okay for what it was. Three out of five batterings. The first story I thought reeked of amateurism, and it really felt to me as if it was the writer's one Batman story that they'd always really wanted to tell and that really sort of came through to me quite almost over-polished but didn't really have a purpose. Uh, but the, the art was okay. I just found the whole thing a little cliche. Second story I thought was interesting, although, like Dustin said, it just doesn't lead anywhere. But I liked the art. It was sort of jock-esque but even looser and scratchier if that's possible. Uh, third story for me was no, just no. I didn't get it. I didn't like it. The art was like a really loose Ryan Benjamin or I've forgotten the artist's name, but whoever did Enigma, that that mini series from Vertigo a few years ago. Story four was okay, aided by the fact that I really like Zars, although I I did like the the line about. Robin, that really made me laugh. And the art was interesting because it was by, I think it was Eric Nguyen, and if I'd only seen Nguyen on the cover, I would have thought it was Dustin's, because it was quite similar. Story 5, 
I didn't really care for. I didn't understand the Riddler's pronunciations of words. I'm not sure if that was just the style of the story. And the but the art was okay, and the facing off of Riddler in question was quite a, a nice idea. I thought Story 6 was absolutely brilliant. I just really laughed when Bam was like, I don't care, smashes the, the Falcon's head into a rail. I thought that was really funny. And Story 7, I, it didn't touch me like it seemed to touch, well, Josh especially, but everyone else. So I wasn't so fussed about that, but the art was pretty nice. Overall, I'm going to give it a 3 out of 5 batterings. So that is going to give Batman the 80-page giant 2011 three out of five batterings. Let's move into our next issue, Batman Arkham City number five. Have you ever seen a flower die? Watched something that was once so beautiful, so full of life, collapse? Batman Arkham City issue five. The final chapter, Exposure. Written by Paul Dini, illustrated by Carl Stananda. This issue continues with the last one left off uh, with a sliding timeline. Two hours ago, Batman has learned that the man who was orchestrating Arkham City is Hugo Strange. And by the time we catch up to the present time, he's back at the Batcave with Alfred and Chris O'Donnell. I mean Robin. They are probably their next move now that they know the big bad behind Arkham City when they find out that Mayor Quincy Sharp has already revealed Strange as the collaborator behind the whole Arkham City project. So they're wondering what they're going to do now. And Batman says, well, if Batman can't do something, Bruce Wayne can do something. After the scene with Sharp and Strange, we go to the press conference where Sharp is obviously picking up Strange, saying he's a wonderful man, he's a great collaborator, and Bruce Wayne says, no, I have all this evidence that he's been very abusive towards detainees at Arkham. He's crazy and everything. And Strange says, well, those are all false accusations. And besides, Bruce Wayne, you're an idle playboy. What business have you going to my affairs? So an interesting scene comes up where Bruce Wayne and Hugo Strange, who know who each other is in reality are sort of dueling it out in front of everybody at the press conference. And Bruce basically walks away while Hugo Strange says he is amused at his attempts to try to take him down. Essentially, the issue ends with several full-page splashes of the characters that we'll probably see in the video game. We see Commissioner Gordon. We see Mr. Zaz being released. We see Hugo Strange overseeing Arkham City and with several different cameras. And in one camera, you can see a cameo from Paul Dini's The Carpenter, which I appreciated. We see Catwoman, we see Two-Face, we see Poison Ivy, we see the Riddler, the Penguin, and the Joker, and all the players are in place once Arkham City begins, as the story will continue in that video game. The end, for now. In Arkham City number five, I thought this issue was, was pretty decent. It didn't end exactly the way I thought it was going to, which made sense. You know, I, I said, I believe it was when we were reviewing issue number four that I really hoped that it wasn't going to end with, see what happens next in Batman Arkham City, which, you know, it did have that line, but, you know, that was expected because the series is happening because of the, the video game coming out, so they're going to promote the video game in some form. The interesting thing about this issue was that, for the most part, it concludes some of the things that have been happening within the series where... I'm almost positive that Batman Arkham City is not going to start out with Batman, you know, the whole Arkham City thing just happens and Hugo Strange 
finds out Batman's identity as the as the game progresses. It's going to be you know that first trailer we saw for the video game is probably the opening cutscene for Batman Arkham City or part of it, and some of it will probably delve into what happened with the comic, but a lot of it will be that one trailer. Then the game starts. And then the, the comic is actually that bridge that is out there for people to actually find out how the two connect. I think overall the comic did a good job with that. I think, you know, for the most part, Paul Dini did a decent job at making the series end and not leaving in these giant cliffhangers, which I'm glad about because even though the game will explain some of the events that will happen with a lot of these characters, for the most part, we're not getting confirmation that... You know, there's certain things that will happen in the game that are going to give this comic series conclusion, which I'm happy with. And I thought the essentially the epilogue for this comic was was appreciated, at least by me. So I'm going to give this three and a half out of five bad ranks. There's a story that me and Donovan read for another podcast called The Jackal Files. It's a Spider-Man story where, like, it's basically like a whole thing of bio pages. It has splash pages of all these characters, and then, like, it tells you about them. And that's what this, like, felt like at the end, like, just, like, splash pages of these characters. Like, like almost like these were posters or something for, like, a 90s trading card. I would have liked it if that would have been filled with more story. The art, it's... Otherwise, this series was a good lead into the game. I just wish it would have ended better, so three out of five batterings. I actually do think that this is the weakest issue out of the whole miniseries, because while the miniseries had a very simple job of setting up the video game, it did it very entertainingly, and it was very, very, like, methodical in how exactly they were transitioning from Arkham Asylum video game to Arkham City video game. This issue wasn't bad. In fact, I'm not sure what else it could have done. It just sort of fell flat because the last half of it was just pictures, basically, of all the players being in place. I always loved the art by Carlos Donanda, so I enjoyed the pictures and I enjoyed the splash pages. Robin's appearance, however, did maybe cause... It reminded me of that... There was this one Robin one-shot from the 90s that was like Robin 3000 or whatever, where it had Robin in the future with blonde hair jumping around. That's what it reminded me of. He didn't look jacked up on steroids as he does in the comic, but I don't know. It's a mix between the actual design and Carlos's art style, but that was the only one thing that I sort of like didn't like. This was a sufficient end to a surprisingly decent series. Three out of five better ranks. Yeah, I agree with everyone else. I really didn't like the art for Robin. Both the hair and just the size of him. He just, he looked ridiculous. Like a like a bodybuilder, but trapped in a teenager's body, sort of stretching. It was really, I found it really bizarre. I didn't like it at all. But it has got me really excited for the game, though. And I know this is the comic podcast, but I'm not a gamer, and this has still got me really excited. I'm really looking forward to it. I found it interesting. I think it's from page 14. We got nothing but splash pages. And usually I'd see that as lazy, but I thought it really worked in this comic. And with the narration, it gave it a very cinematic feel, I found. So I think I actually quite liked it. But I agree with Don. I think this was the weakest in the series. But it still, overall, it was a pretty decent series. So I'm going to give three and a half out of five batterings. All right, so that's going to give Batman Arkham City number five, three and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next issue, Superman Batman number 87. Superman versus Batman? What a scoop. 
Superman Batman issue 87 written by Joshua Hale Fialkov with art by Thomas Giorello. Well, surprise, surprise, Superman heard the Joker coming, dodging the ballot as it comes crashing down on his desk. Superman then engages in a fight with the Joker, obviously under the guise of Clark Kent. That is until the Joker pulls a gun on him. Not wanting to reveal his secret identity, Superman is stuck as what to do. Luckily, our favourite creeped crusader bursts through the window and delivers a mean left hook. Forgetting, apparently, that he has a gun, the Joker catches Clark off guard and uses him as a meat shield whilst he detonates a gas bomb, and as Batman goes to disarm it, the Joker hurls himself and Superman out of the window. However, with the aid of a parachute, the Joker glides off to safety, leaving Clark to fall to his death. Once again, Superman is in a dilemma. No matter what he does, he will reveal his identity to the crowd below. But once again, the Dark Knight saves the day, catching Clark mid-fall, leaving him then to capture the Joker using his super speed. Batman and Clark then go to confront Martin Maine. It turns out that Maine made a deal with the Joker, which got the first reporter killed, and the reason why Clark was next. Maine's reasoning behind this was that he was saving the paper, but he in turn gets fired by Bruce Wayne, who buys out the paper. The issue ends with a conversation held between Superman and Batman on a rooftop, in which a very questionable moral moral compass is the focus of the conversation. Superman Batman number 87. I thought thought this was a decent conclusion to the story arc I was contemplating ever since I read issue 86 of exactly how it was going to end, and I think Fikulov did a decent job at, you know, not only bringing kind of the source of philosophy as to the good and bad of not only Gotham City and Metropolis, but also Batman and Superman, and kind of the universes that each one of those characters kind of exist in, and how even though it's a very different world in some senses, it's still very the same. I thought it was pretty interesting how the whole Joker situation worked out, because I still don't understand how Joker snuck up on Clark Kent that easily. And Clark does make a point to say, wow, I really must have been distracted, and that's why he didn't figure it out. But honestly, if you took that little bit of dialogue out there, it would almost make absolutely no sense of how the Joker got so close to him without him knowing. So at least they had that dialogue in there for a specific reason, so that it made sense. I thought the art was okay. I didn't really like the portrayal of the Joker's face. In some senses, it looked like a pile of mashed potatoes with some red lipstick. But I thought the story was was pretty good, so I'm going to give this 3 out of 5 battering. As an issue of Superman-Batman, it was an okay, you know, end to a story, you know, Superman and Batman taking on the Joker, the Joker being oblivious to, like, Clark being Superman. Hey, I shot Clark Kent, and this bullet bounced back at me. Somebody must have shot me because I looked away for a second and didn't see the bullet come back out and there's no one here with a gun. But the Joker's insane. I like the dilemma with Clark Kent and his secret identity. Now, you not only have to judge this from the point of, like, this one-off story. This is also... This story has the distinction of being... This is the final interaction between this version of Superman and this version of Batman. Like, these characters who came together after Crisis on Infinite Earths, you know, in the Man of Steel series and fought Magpie, had that uneasy relationship, you know, and went through all that stuff together. This is the end for them. And I... 
I don't want to say I was. I, I wanted something like in Batman, where it's like them looking at their history and like you know over Coco with Mom Pa Kent, well Pa Kent's dead. You know, where like you know like Ma Kent and Alfred like sit around like sharing stories about Clark and Bruce or something. I I don't know, but I I think. Because this was the end, I, I would have liked something, you know, closing the book on these versions of the character. Because September's going to roll around, we're going to get JLA 1, and these two characters are going to meet again for the first time. And it's going to be a whole new relationship. And this relationship that's been around since the mid-80s, I feel it needed more closure. But it doesn't make the book bad that they didn't do it. It's just a very, very missed opportunity. I'm going to give this two and a half out of five batterings. I can see where Josh is coming from, but at the same time, personally, there's been so many like continuity glitches already disregarding the, the DC relaunch with like Superman's origin and secret origins and infinite crisis. And like, to me, I don't really think that I'm not saying that the man of steel meeting between them two didn't necessarily happen, but I think at this point in the game, relaunch or not, it was kind of far, so far removed that I didn't really place it in the same sort of like universe. Like this is, this doesn't really equal those characters in terms of the, how they're written. So I didn't really see that in this issue. I thought this issue was alright. I I agree that the, that the Joker's appearance was the, was the lamest part. I don't like when Joker's just like this this, this wacko clown. He comes off more of a clown from the Spawn series. Rather than the actual Joker. You know, he, he kind of comes by a later character who likes... I don't know, a more cerebral Joker. I, I don't like just like a goofball kind of character. This issue wasn't as good as I thought as the last issue, but it was a decent end. I really liked Superman's portrayal on this. I really like uh, the, the overall controlled Superman who knows what he wants to do and is just gauging every move. I like that interpretation of Clark Kent. The scene at the end, which I think Joe's going to have more to say on, with Batman and Superman talking about how they see how they view things and Batman sees Superman as an architect and he sees himself as a fireman. I thought that was interesting. I actually kind of like that. I mean, I thought the last line was it was a little useless. I'm so tired of Batman being antagonistic towards Superman, but as an end to the series Superman Batman, I actually thought this was pretty decent. I was not not so much like the end of these two characters in this in this modern era because of what I just said. How everything's gone happened already and it's a past story if this was in present time it would be different but as an end to the series i thought it was a decent end to the series so i'm gonna give this three and a half out of five batarangs this was definitely one of the better arcs of superman batman and i suppose i'm glad that this is the one that ended the the series because it, it definitely ended on a high note but even so, I still didn't particularly enjoy this issue. I thought the it started off really well with issue 85, I think it was. I think it was Donovan who said then that the, the series has no tension, and I kept thinking about that all the time I was reading this, so all of the time where Superman was worried about revealing his secret identity, I was just thinking, well, it's, it's obvious nothing's going to come to it. And I know it's comics, so it wouldn't anyway, but there's... There's even more of that, just knowing that nothing's ever going to become of it. So I really, I found the issue quite boring. I also found the the plot with Martin Main. I'm not sure if it was just me. I found that very confusing, and I, I didn't quite understand what was going on there. But I did miss the issue in between because of my absence. 
I like the art, but mostly because I like Batman with the long ears, so it was cool to see that. And I quite liked the Joker's portrayal in this because I liked the things like the laughing gas bomb. I thought that was quite retro, even though we've got the retro actors. But I still enjoy seeing stuff like that occasionally. And like I said, I found some of the morals in this quite questionable. And again, I'm not sure if it was if I understood them properly or if it's just the way they were worded or or what was going on, but some of the things... I, I see Batman as the sort of person who would relentlessly hunt down and find out what's going on. I mean, he's a great detective. That's what he does. He finds out things which other people can't, and he comes to conclusions, and he, he always gets the bad guy. And in this, he's just saying, oh, yeah, well, if you can't do it, just move on to the next one. You know, there's lots of things going wrong. Well, obviously, there are, but you don't just do a little bit for each one and then and then leave them. Obviously, you should do your best to, even if it's one in the nine murders he said happened in Gotham City, if you can help solve one, then that's better than just, you know, checking that everything's okay at each scene and then going, oh, well, no one else has got murdered here, that's fine. I mean, that's sort of what I was reading from it, and I didn't particularly like that, and I thought it was quite a, a wet ending to the issue. But then maybe it was supposed to be quite emotional because of the new relaunch. But I think this could have come in anywhere in the series. I'm only going to give this two out of five batterings. You know, it, it, it's funny. Like, you said that, like, nothing could obviously happen. But, hey, this is the last month of, like, this continuity. <laughs> the story, like, could have, like, been put in the newspaper. Bruce Wayne's Batman. Clark Kent could have fell, fallen to the ground and been revealed as Superman. That would have totally blown our minds. It's going to give Superman Batman number 87 a total of 3 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our next book, DC Retroactive, The Batman, The 80s. What's the matter, Batman? It's rush hour in Gotham City and the Batmobile is big. You mean, yes, Robin, the Metro. Sure is great for these city streets, Batman. And we're gonna make it to City Hall in plenty of time. Whoa! Batman! Got you, Penguin. When you've got to pick up a penguin, Metro gets you going. Alright, what we get here is... I guess you can say another sequel of sorts to Batman Year 2, because they, they, they did a sequel. Full circle. Late, later on, yeah, full circle. And it, it's Batman, you know, and he's assisted by his second Robin, Jason Todd, who isn't cutting people's heads off. Well, no, Jason Todd never did that. That was Damien. Who isn't shooting people with guns and, like, smoking and doing things all the time because this is written by Mike Barr, who remembers that Jason Todd, you know, actually had moments of clarity and normalness. We get some of the characters from year three back, like Rachel Capazin and Leslie Tompkins and... There's a new Reaper in town, and, you know, he's killing off gangsters, he or she, or is it they, killing off gangsters, there's multiple of them, and Batman, with the assistance of Jason Todd, 
it tries to solve the mystery. There's some speculation that it might be Rachel, who whose father was the first Reaper, you know, out for revenge, but she had since become a nun, and but she's gone missing. So Batman and Robin go to look for her, and over the course we meet some suspects, and Batman does a whole... This is something that Batman would not have done in the 80s, but in the 60s. He says, ah, oh, Robin, but I already solved the mystery. And then the caption says, you saw the same clues, Reaper, can you... It turns out that there was not one Reaper, but there was two of them, and it was the daughter and the son of some of the mobsters that met earlier in the issue, and they did to take over the mob, and surprise, surprise, it wasn't the district attorney who was the obvious red herring, so just when you think that they subvert your expectations there, the new district attorney comes out and says, but I was behind it all along. Rachel wasn't the Reaper. She was just kidnapped. Batman watches as the new district attorney gets his head cut off doesn't do anything, tells Robin, look away. The Reapers are subdued, though, and Rachel reveals that she knew that Bruce is Batman, and the story ends. DC Retroactive Batman the 80s. Here's the thing. I thought the art was, in my opinion, similar to what we would have seen in the 80s. I don't think the story was really something that I would have read in the 80s. I get that the whole idea of, you know, the... See, the problem is that the story, in my opinion, seems as if they included Jason Todd as Robin in this story because Robin was Jason Todd, you know, for a good chunk of the 80s. The issue with that is that that seems to be the only link to the 80s other than the the inclusion of the Reaper. The name drops of Judson and Rachel Caspian. The the dialogue, for, for me at least, doesn't seem like something we would read in the 80s. Mike Barr obviously wrote things in the 80s, but I'm thinking this is more of what he would have written in the 80s compared to what was actually being written in the 80s. I don't remember a whole lot of references to, you know, old chum in the 80s. So, you know, and there's a number of other things, specifically, like Josh said, the reference to something that would have happened in the 60s, where Batman says he solved the mystery before the mystery is resolved, which, why would we continue to you know, try to figure out the answer if Batman already knows that that just seems stupid. <laughs> Overall, I, in, in my opinion, I just, I don't think this was very good. And it's unfortunate that we had this one to review, but we don't have the 90s one because I was looking forward to that one more than all of these other ones we've reviewed. So unfortunately, I can only give this issue a total of two out of five batterings. The second that the new district attorney comes up, it's like... Batman and Commissioner Gordon are talking about there's evil in town. Yup, somebody sure evil. Oh, by the way, here's the new district attorney who I'm introducing you for this story. So I was like, okay, so he's going to be the Reaper. Like I said in my recap, I was surprised. I was like, okay, they didn't go the obvious route. Then he comes out anyway. Batman does virtually nothing while this guy gets beheaded in front of them. I mean, he might as well have set a fitting end for his kind or something like that. Just as like, Robin, look away. And maybe because Jason didn't look away, that's, like, why he became the psychopath that he became. I don't know. Wow, cool! (laughs) 
<laughs> from that moment on. I do like how, like, they saw, they showed this other side of Jason, because I'm so sick of people who have only read, like, Death in the Family, like, pretending that they knew what it was like when Jason was Robin. Like, it wasn't every issue, him disobeying Batman's orders, and, like, you know, being edgy and against the rules. Like, there was times where, you know, it was like this, you know, and actually, their relationship was, like, funny, this issue, with him eavesdropping and Batman, like, walking by, like, you know, like, knowing that he was there all along. I like that. Um, I liked this version of Leslie Tompkins, and what people forget is even though Leslie Tompkins existed before year two, which this story is directly tied to, year two pretty much created the version of Leslie Tompkins that we know, the one that, like, you know, knew that Bruce was Batman and, like, helped raise him. And Because like, the original Leslie Tompkins pre-crisis was older, and she, you know, didn't have as strong of ties with Bruce Wayne, so... It was cool to see Mike Barr return to that, and my issue with this, I guess, is it was a little too tied to year two, and we already had a sequel to that, and I think for a retroactive 80s thing, it's cool that they pulled something from a story from that era, but it was a little too tied to, which, which is great for the fans like us who like read it, but... I mean, I guess it's targeted for us and not the new fans. I don't know. The twist with Two Reapers, I didn't see that coming. The whole, I saw, I, I could practically hear Dr. Hibbert saying, I can't figure out this mystery. Can you? <laughs> Sorry if I stole your joke, Don. I don't know if you were going to go for that one. No, no, I wasn't. But <laughs> that felt like it was something from a 70s or 60s Batman story. All in all, the art was okay. The story had its ups and downs, some downs, some predictability. I'll give it three out of five batterings. In terms of the retroactiveness, I feel like I have to, I have to provide some background because it's sort of like if you read... I really don't want to come off as a pretentious continuity fanboy, but if you read Batman in, like, post-crisis 80s style, Batman was being written by Jim Starlin and drawn by Jim Perro. Detective Comics was, re- was being written by Mike Barr and illustrated by Alan Davis. And in that era, Jason Todd was Robin. And Jim Starlin sort of... Jim Starlin was the guy who wrote Tim as, like, the Robin that everyone knows, like, who would disobey Batman and everything. It wasn't as though he were Damien that he was, he and Batman were constantly at odds, but he was the Robin who fans didn't like because he was too different from Dick. He would, he would be more violent and everything. In Detective Comics, it was almost like the 60s show with Batman and Robin. Jason Todd was very, very uh, obedient to Batman and, like, smiled and says, whatever you say, Batman, and it's exactly like it is in this issue. He's like the laughing daredevil. And... It, because it's written by Mark W. Barr, to me, it, the, first of all, I would ra- highly re- recommend those detective issues because Alan Davis's art is excellent in those. And it's actually, if you think that sounds cheesy that they were, that Jason Todd was a happy-go-lucky Robin or whatever, there was still some good stuff. There was an issue where Jason would get shot and stuff, but even still, like, it's good Batman, but it shows the three-dimensional aspect of the character that I'm glad was captured here because even though Jason isn't, like, the stereotypical dark Robin, he still socks the woman square in the face. I like the fact that Jason Todd did that, not Batman, because to me, that sort of shows the full aspect of his character, that he's tough enough to do that. Where the relatability to the era goes, I feel as though the art was a mix between 70s era art and maybe early 90s era art, not specifically 80s. I thought Jerry Bingham did a pretty good job in this issue. I thought he, well, he's done a good job and his recent stuff anyway, but I thought this was pretty nice looking. The sequence where Batman says, Huh, Robin, I've already solved this mystery. Don't tell me you haven't yet. 
That is very, very, very 70s to me because Denny O'Neill wrote an issue of, of Batman where that's exactly what he did. He would. It's not as though Batman would point at the reader and say that, but he would pull that stunt. And Denny O'Neill's been in an interview saying that he's loves, he loved doing that, that having the reader be engaged fully in the issue and in the mystery. So it was funny that it's, it's here in the 80s where it's sort of like 10 years old at that point. I am not really a fan of year two. I actually don't like it and, and quickly disregarding the continuity, which will be easier by tomorrow <laughs> as of this recording. So but at, <laughs> at the same time... Thank you for dating our podcast. <laughs> well, our podcast is going to be relaunched. At the same time, though, year two is a very, very 80s kind of story. With the re- Just look at the Reaper. He's an armor. He's a skull. He's very pointy. He has a blade. He chops people up. If you're going to go for a stereotypical 80s villain, go for the Reaper. I think this issue is a decent follow-up to that. I mean, the first issue of Year 2 is the best with Alan Davis or anyway, but I really thought that this was an alright story that was made good because it captured the era of Mike Barr's Detectives run more so than the 80s era or the Reaper's era. So I actually really appreciated what this story was doing, be it indirectly and not just because of the story. So I'll give this 4 out of 5 batterings. I read this and I haven't read as obviously as much as anyone on the podcast, especially uh, Josh and Don. So when I was reading this, I didn't realise the eighties was so camp because the only things that I I know I have read are things like you know Alan Moore's The Killing Joke and and Year One and and things like that. So I thought this was really off when I was reading it. Now that I'm hearing that this is actually similar to how um, some of the 80s was, I'm glad I haven't read more because I thought this was really bizarre, especially <laughs> like that famous page now, which is going to haunt me. Well, well, Although I do page? the uh, I've sold it. Have you that one, <laughs> Chief Wiggum? I do love the art. I really like Jerry Bingham's art. I think he saved that Batman Confidential arc, the uh, the last one of that. But yeah, uh, I think overall it was quite fun. I I have enjoyed the retroactive comics. I particularly like the the paper it's printed off. It's just it's yeah, yeah. the whole thing was quite a a cool gimmick, I'd say. But I'm only going to give this two and a half out of five batterings. So that is going to give DC Retroactive Batman the 80s three out of five batterings. Let's move into our next issue, which is Batman Gates of Gotham number five. Hey, naughty boy, mama spit. The issue starts off with Batman, who's kind of dealing with the situation with the architect trying to take out the bridge in Gotham City. Black Bat dives into the Gotham River to search for the C4 that's at the bottom. Batman gets into a pretty decent fight that lasts quite some time with the architect while Black Bat and Damien notice that the the bomb that's at the base of the bridge is actually the same has the same type of kill switch as the bombs that were at the Iceberg Lounge and the Wayne Foundation building. So essentially, they've determined that they there's no way to disarm it, so they have to do something else. So what ends up happening is they tie it to the Batboat and drive it away just in time for it to blow up. The entire time that's happening, Batman continues to fight the Architect and eventually gets him contained. What ends up happening is we find out that the person in the Architect 
is actually the descendant, the, the last descendant of the Gates brothers from the late 1800s. Batman proceeds to tell him that he has this all wrong and the entire thing is something that has been brought into his mind due to the fact that his suit is actually depressurizing him and he's screwing with his own mind from decompression sickness. This happens through basically Batman talks about how the uh, oldest Gates brother, the one who died in the the collapse of the building, this happened because he had delusions, hallucinations, and paranoia. And what ended up happening was the youngest brother, when he went searching for his brother in the wreckage, also had this decompression sickness and in turn was arrested because of it and made a journal. The journal that he kept was actually given to him by Alan Wayne, and he was committed to Arkham Asylum. This was actually due to the fact that founding fathers of Gotham City wanted to protect themselves and not ruin their names. So it wasn't that he was thrown in prison to, you know, basically cover up some kind of conspiracy. It was more of if the gates were known as these crazy people, all of their buildings would become completely useless. So they did it to protect themselves. Back in current day, the Architect's not really liking the idea of Batman. Dick Grayson ends up being able to get the helmet of the Architect outfit off his head, and he ends up getting punched in the face and passes out. (laughs) Back at the Wayne building, Black Bat comes and talks to Tim Drake about how they blew up the Bat boat, and essentially Black Bat makes a statement that says that she really likes being in Gotham, and she contemplates staying. We then cut to what we assume is the Bat Bunker. Dick Grayson is talking to Bruce Wayne over the Bat Computer. Kind of the epilogue is that uh, Zachary Gate, the descendant of the uh, Gates brothers, is now locked away in Arkham Asylum, and unfortunately there's a big difference between Dick and Bruce, and that is the fact that Dick has realized that he can be Batman. He's just a different version of Batman as to what Bruce Wayne is. We kind of end it with Bruce Wayne saying he's coming back to Gotham and they're going to talk about him being Batman. Damien's in the background saying, oh, he's coming back. And we find out that Damien kind of is, is not necessarily looking forward to not working with Dick Grayson. We then cut to the, the past again where Alan Wayne is actually giving the Gate brother the journal while he's in Arkham Asylum. And Alan Wayne comes out to talk to Kane, and Kane is sitting there and says to him, I just want to make sure, you know, you would never do anything to jeopardize what we have going, right? As far as making sure that you didn't have anything to do with the death of Cameron Gate Bridge and Kane says, no, I, I didn't have anything. What kind of twisted future would I be setting Gotham into if I was involved in something like that? And Ellen Wayne just responds, well then, let's pray that we never have to. That ends Batman Gates of Gotham number five. All right, Batman Gates of Gotham number five. Overall, I think this was a very good series. I thought this, this issue specifically wrapped up everything that needed to be wrapped up. I kept thinking as we progressed, you know, issue three did a very good job at getting to the peak of the climax of what was going on. But I think my biggest concern was how are we going to get back down to five without, you know, reaching the the tip peak of issue three. 
with all the history and all of the explanation and exposition that was happening with the issue, I was really concerned of what was actually going to happen with issue five and how they were going to wrap this up. I think they did a decent job. I think ultimately, I think the idea of, well, let's just hook the bomb up to the bat boats and pull it away. You know, at some point, I would assume that these villains who are trying to do something really bad would think of something better than, oh, I'm just going to have these these barrels of Semtex down at the bottom of these, you know, at this one pier, which, yes, will ultimately make the entire bridge fall, but, you know, just because I have this, you know, the, the, it was a good idea with the Iceberg Lounge being having, having been blown up and Wayne Foundation's building being blown up with the, the essentially, the bomb that couldn't be diffused. I think it was kind of, a, I hate to say this, but I think it was a cheap way out just to, to, to hook it up to the bat boat and drive it away. I don't know how they could have, you know, disassembled the bomb to the point where it's not wrapped around the post, but at the same time it doesn't affect the actual explosion in the first place. That's the only plot hole that I'm finding, in my opinion. I think it made you believe that for the longest time it did, and a lot of things really came into question when this when you read this issue because a lot of things that you were being led on to believe turn out not to be true. So that was kind of interesting as well. Yeah, overall, I think the art was was great. We went back to Trevor McCarthy, and I think Kyle Higgins did a great job with the story that Scott Snyder kind of outlined for him. So I'm looking forward to Nightwing. I'm looking forward to Batman. I think both these writers have, I think both these writers have good expectations going to their future series. So I'm going to give this four and a half out of five batterings. This was a good series. And I'm glad that Kyle Higgins and Scott Snyder are both going to be handling Bat books come, you know, September. I like this, and I like, I've been saying this all along, he gets the Batman family's, inter, you know, interactions. I like the scene with Damien and Dick at the end. Even, you know, Bruce and Dick talking over the communicator. Like, it wasn't, it's actually somewhat warm, you know, like, kind of like what we got at the end of Prodigal. You know, Tim and Cassandra, who have, you know, this is where Cell would say shipper, but, like, Tim and Cassandra, who have a long history, and I don't mean romantically, but, but like, the Tim and Cassandra They're friends. have been... Yeah, yeah, they've been through, like, Hades and back together. Like, when Cassandra did that whole evil thing, like, Tim was there for that. It, I mean, they did Bloodhaven together, stuff like that, so it's... You get, you get a good sense of history and continuity with these characters in these books that I haven't felt that we've gotten in the past. The story, you know, intercutting with the flashbacks back and forth was kind of interesting. Like Dustin said, these villains kind of need a new plan, but... When it's executed well writing-wise and there's good characterization, I can forgive a dumb villain plan. I'm going to give this four and a half out of five batterings. I love this issue, man. (laughs) I really did. And I've been digging the series a lot throughout the previous four issues, but this one's... I don't know whether it's because of the relaunch or it's just because of, like... No, I think part of it is because of the relaunch, to be honest, because... It's mainly in the ending, but before I can talk about the ending, I, I love the fact that Trevor McCarthy's back on there because with, like, the, the Dustin Wynn variant or the other cover, I don't know, I was just kind of, I had gone in the mindset that he was going to be illustrating, and I was pleasantly surprised that Trevor McCarthy was penciling this final issue because he did a really good job on this. I really, really like the art. I mean, I love the coloring, but... This, just the figures. I really liked how dynamic and like fluid they were. I thought the fight between Batman and the Arctic was really good, and it's it's almost sort of rare to see good fight scenes in comic books these days. I thought that was like a really good old school fight. 
And this is just a great series. It was very interesting. We got the best character dynamics we've seen in years with the, with the modern Bat family. And again, I think it's because of the fact that we're going into this new era with Batman now. The way this story ends, I really, really appreciate it from Kyle Higgins and, and uh, to a lesser extent, Scott Snyder. I love the scene with Tim Drake and Cassandra Kane. I love that panel where she says, I've always liked it in Gotham. I just, I just find that a very nice panel. And I love which the tease. <laughs> yeah, which <laughs> it's a brutal lie, and, and it makes me sad. But I like that as a character beat and a story beat. I like that we finally see Bruce in this talking to Dick. And I like how it's sort of insinuated what's going to happen. He says, well, we'll talk about you being uh, Batman when I get returned. He says, are you coming to Gotham? I have to go. And then there's like a pause, and Dick takes off the cowl. It's understated, but you know what's going on. And I really, really like that because it's played off realistically, and you feel like like this whole Batman Reborn era is coming to a definite end. It's not as on the nose as, as Batgirl was with, you know, it's only the end if you want it to be, but... And that was fine, but like I, I just liked how mature that the ending was, and I like it was sort of unsaid whether Alan Wayne was connected to all this or not. So I'm giving this five out of five. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. All the way through this series, I've been saying how much I want to get into it and how little I have, and I'm really disappointed because I really, really wanted to like this series, and I don't know what it was, just something wouldn't let me. Having said that, this issue definitely was the best, and I did enjoy it for what it was. It seems the series basically summed up to an excuse as to why Dick Grayson is going to go back to Nightwing. And I understand why that had to happen in a miniseries, because I, I can't see that, that happening in Detective or Batman. But having said that, it the actual story of the miniseries, I didn't particularly enjoy with the architect, the villain, having a new villain and things like that. I, I didn't particularly enjoy that. I also, and I said this as well from the start, that I found Dick Grayson very forced in this. His whole... I, I feel like in this series he's been written to feel like he doesn't want the cowl anymore. Like he's... Like he he's rejecting a bit and... I don't feel that's right, and I, I mean, that's just the, what I feel when I read this, that's what I pick up from it, and maybe that's wrong, but that's the, that's what I'm getting from it, and I don't feel like that should be the case, and I, that's why I'm saying it feels forced, but nevertheless, I'm still glad that this series came out, because I'm glad that there is a bridge between the old DC Universe and the DC New but I'm going to give this 3 out of 5 batterings. So that is going to give Batman Gates of Gotham number 5 4.5 out of 5 batterings. Let's move into our next issue, Batman the Dark Knight number 5. Oh. Ah. Ah. Never start with the head. The victim gets all fuzzy. Batman the Dark Knight number 5. Written by David Finch. Illustrated by Jay Fabuk. This issue begins with the last one left off with Batman at Don Golden's rooftop penthouse balcony in a rainstorm. And as she's holding on to the Dark Knight and she's safe in his arms, she suddenly freaks out and says, Oh my! As a bunch of crazy looking gargoyles crawl all over the building just like we were teasing the last issue. Batman says, Don't worry, Don. I'm going to protect you. And she says, No! I thought you said 
you promised to protect me. You promised. Because the gargoyles get over her and kidnap her anyway. For some reason, Batman's unconscious, and when he he comes to, Etrigan is all over him with Lady Blades behind him, basically controlling him. But Etrigan attacks Batman, saying that somehow Batman has pained the heart of Lady Blaze, even though he's never even interacted with her for the entire title as this at this point. And because that has happened, it hurts Etrigan, so he wants to pay back the pain that Batman has given her a thousandfold. So he pushes him off a roof. Meanwhile, in the sewers of Gotham, we see Don Golden being set up for this cult sacrifice headed by quote-unquote ragman. It's a typical thing where, you know, she's on a, she's on a box or, or a coffin and he's going to stab her with a bunch of candles in a ceremonial event taking place. You, you've seen it all before. So we cut back in the middle of the air where Batman and Etrigan are falling. And Batman says, Etrigan, you shouldn't let her control you. She's only doing this for your own good. Why can't she rhyme anymore? That was the coolest thing about you, dude. And while she says, no, Etrigan, I gave you power, and this is how you repay me? While she starts blasting him with her fire powers, Batman says, where I come from, lady, we make our own power. And that's the last we see of that. We cut back to the cult ritual sacrifice, where a... T- <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. <laughs> a face juts out of Ragman's mouth. And a tentacle monster comes out from the floor, and lightning strikes everywhere. But the day is seemingly saved, because Etrigan is now on Batman's side, and as the demonic duo come in too to save the day, they are just about to save Dawn Golden, but they fail and she dies, <laughs> stabbed right through the heart. Batman says no, and Etrigan is trying to get to them, but there are too many gargoyles. Batman says there are never too many, and somehow... The face of the the faux ragman, essentially Don's father, explodes for some reason. And I'm not sure if it's ever explained, because it isn't. So while Batman is forlornly staring at Don Golden's corpse, he unmasks and etching and saves. The spirit is gone. You must let her go. You must know that you saved her. So we cut to the epilogue where the girl who stole the Batmobile from issue one is talking to the people who had threatened her dad from the last issue. She doesn't have the Batmobile, but she does have a device that she gives them that will control the Batmobile. But as she leaves them with the promise that her father will be safe, we find out that Batman has found her out and gave her the device to give to them. And with that reassurance, he knows that they are going to come to get him. The end. I'm in the Dark Knight number five. As much as I would love to go on a rant about this issue because it really is that bad... I really want to direct everyone to issue number four of my rant, which was, I believe, on the last podcast or two podcasts ago, because pretty much everything that I complained about in the last issue is the same in this one. But, you know, I got to still hit on some points. (laughs) Number one, you know, I recently found out that Paul Jenkins is actually going to be the sole writer on Batman the Dark Knight when it relaunches in September David Finch is going to kind of be the idea person who pitches ideas to Paul Jenkins, and Paul Jenkins goes from that. I have to say, as as unfamiliar as I am with Paul Jenkins, I know that he has been writing for Marvel for quite a few years now and did work on some DC stuff back in the day. I can only imagine that the fact that he's been holding a job at a comics company means he can do a better job than David Finch has been doing. David Finch can go back to doing exactly what he's what he's good at, which is doing the art. 
And the ultimate thing in my mind is that I think that David Finch came up with some great ideas of things that he thought would look really cool if he drew them. And he tried to base a story on that. And the issue with that is that it becomes a very convoluted, uncomprehensible story that nobody knows what's going on. I still don't know why Etrigan was involved other than he teams up with Batman at the end. Why Ragman was this means for this character, this, you know, Dawn Golden's father to inhabit, still doesn't make any sense to me. Why is it that Etrigan didn't have his rhyme at the beginning of the story? You know, why, was that ever explained? No. Does it, was it ever explained of, you know, I, you know I'm not, I, I'm familiar with Etrigan to a certain degree. But I don't know anything about Lady Blaze. I don't know anything about why Etrigan would be so willing to just work for Lady Blaze. I don't know anything about that. So that didn't make any sense to me. Being somebody who's not familiar with Etrigan, but being familiar with Batman books, it makes no sense of why that wouldn't have been explained. Etrigan's not somebody who's appearing in the Batman universe, you know, every couple months. So why wasn't that explained? Why was it that... Ragman, who we have seen more recently, actually I think we've seen Ragman more recently than Etrigan in the Batman books because he had the co-feature in Streets of Gotham for a short amount of time. Why is it that that character was completely out of context of how we've seen him in the past, even more so towards that mini that one shot that we saw last year, completely out of context, had no idea that the the souls that Ragman has could inhabit his body and basically take him over. And it was never explained of how Don Golden's father became part of that because Ragman had nothing to do with Don Golden's father being, you know, dying. That was because he was old and decrepit. So there's there's so many holes and, you know, as much as I could continue on with this, I really am hoping that Paul Jenkins can come on and make some sense out of what he's put together. It scares me because the cover to issue two shows like some venomed up Two-Face, which is making me extremely concerned. But at the same time, I'm, I have to have a little faith because the cover for issue three, which is this new female villain, the White Bunny, or I don't know what her name is, the White Rabbit, but it's some chick in some scantily clad outfit with bunny ears. That kind of... <laughs> That kind of appeals to me, not in the sense that it's some scantily clad woman, but the fact that it's a new female villain that hopefully will take off because it's been a while since we've had some new female villains in, in the Batman universe. So I, I really hope that Paul Jenkins can make some sense of this because everything that's happened with the delays for this series, with the, the insane amount of over-usage of characters... And poor plot elements is just absolutely horrible. I'm going to give this 0 out of 5 batterings. I'm glad Don Golden died because... It's, again, there's just an overabundance of women from Bruce's past who, like, are the ones who he truly cares about. And it's nice to see Batman fail once in a while. And I kind of just want her to shut up. Especially after last issue. I know that's horrible, but like, you know, a good writer would have been able to make me... I mean, I was listening 
to the Batman Universe commentaries in my car today, and we did the episode about Mask of the Phantasm, and we talk about, like, with Nick and Apple, how Andrea, we only knew her in those flashbacks and her relationship with Bruce from, like, three scenes, but we were emotionally attached to that character in this relationship. We've had issues to get attached to Don Golden, and we just don't care about her. It's like, or, or her relationship with Bruce. It's just... That that could have been done better. And then, again, they're setting up for, like, a new story in Volume 2 already at the end, and they do that whole the end question mark. That was... <laughs> yeah. Well, it, 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 there's a question mark. It's, it's there. <laughs> I know there's a question <laughs> Like, the end, like, and, like, by the time that they pencil, it's, like, the end, because I'm not sure if I can get another book out, because this took forever. They should have done what they did with Batwoman, honestly, and, like, held this thing off and t- and, and did the whole thing during the New no, 52. No, it should never have been born. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, zero out of five batterings. <laughs> Gotham City in the rain always makes me think of my parents. It's like a steady pounding against your heart. It's the moment you've lost all the things you can never have back. Makes you cherish the golden dawn. That's just a sample of the the award-winning dialogue and script <laughs> that there has been in this title. As Batman compares the melancholy he has for a woman he's barely talked to, but has been talked to with no end in the last like hour of his life, to rain as though he were my chemical romance. This issue did the impossible for me. It supplanted the widening guy as being the worst Batman issue or Batman story I have ever read. Now, I hate the widening guy more, and, and I actually enjoy this issue. <laughs> On a technical level, this was piss poor. First of all, where is Commissioner Gordon and his crazy friend who is trying to get, get his job? And, oh, I said apparently Commissioner Gordon and Batman have been dealing venom to, to children in schoolyards. How do I know this? I won't explain until next issue. Well, we never heard from that again. Second of all, what's up with Don Golden as a character is is like nothing. It's not just the fact that she she talks when she's not supposed to talk, like in last issue, but there's all this. You, you promise to protect me. You promise. You promise. Is this like seriously like in the sixties now? All those characters. Okay, I get it. This character is being chased by gargoyles and everything, but she comes off very very bad. And all, the only females we have in this is her and Purgatory. I mean, Lady Blaze. Oh, and the, and the girl who stole the Batmobile. And I, I just find that those are character tropes and character traits as opposed to actual characters. We don't give a crap about Don Golden because we aren't supposed to. Because if we were supposed to, her death would have meaning. It wouldn't make me laugh uproariously like I did when I read it. And, and certainly millions of people across America, or at least hundreds, we wouldn't have minded it when she wouldn't shut up in the last issue. And basically, we, we would have minded it when she first appeared as, oh, wow, another Batman love interest. Why is Etrigan trying to kill Batman? Etrigan and Batman have never crossed paths in this entire title. Etrigan is the farthest thing away from Batman's mind and vice versa. They don't even mention each other until they see each other right here. Why does Lady Blaze want to kill Batman? Why is Etrigan under Lady Blaze's spell and one in one panel and then the next panel she's nowhere to be seen and he's helping Batman? How does the cult go awry after Batman and Etrigan get in there and Dalgon is killed when they don't do anything to stop him. It's not as though Etrigan says anything. He just says, you can never defeat me, Batman. Never. And then he explodes. And apparently that wasn't part of the plan. Why 
did did Edge and Batman know exactly how how did they know exactly where to go when Batman woke up at like five a.m. in the morning with no clue and Edge pushed him off a window? This issue is so incredibly illogical, and the scripting does nothing to help it. You have you have this guy saying, "Back again," and how I've grown, but this time I am not alone. It's like, are you serious, man? <laughs> <laughs> this issue is like it's like a thrown away McDonald's. Meal in, in a garbage bag. It's so. It is so bad. Then it's it's hilarious. The art actually wasn't even as good as it usually has been because it wasn't inked by Scott Williams and colored by Alex Sinclair. And I thought that Don Golden actually had kind of looked weird in some panels, and Bruce Wayne looked weird in the last panel. There are so many questions that you need to ask that you can't you can't possibly read this issue without without just being confused. There's the idea that every issue is someone's first. In some instances, that's absolutely true. In most instances, that's, that's true. And some, like, like for instance, if you're going to talk, talk about these issues, like these final issues before the relaunch, and say, well, we need to turn exposition, in my opinion, exposition of previous story arcs when it's the last issue of the series is probably the, the, the least important thing. But we're talking about a series that had, like, ten subplots. None were explained from the get-go, and they all wrap up before they even converge properly. And then, we, and then this issue has the gall to end on a the end ellipses question mark. <laughs> oh, zero out of five. <laughs> In my last podcast, I said I was along for the ride on this book. I take that back, and that is all I have to say. What's your rating? No, it, it doesn't deserve one. <laughs> <laughs> so that's going to give Batman the Dark Knight number five zero out of five batterings. Let's move into our next issue, Batman Incorporated number eight. Make yourself right at home. Where's my wife? There was nothing I could do. Batman deactivated her. She's dead. You lie! I will do my best to summarize this. So, Batman Inc. issue 8, written by Grant Morrison with art by Scott Clark and Dave Beatty. The issue opens up in virtual reality with Bruce Wayne showing off his latest investment to a group of business entrepreneurs, the Internet 3.0. However, as their board meeting continues, it is disrupted by the Worm Captain, the virtual embodiment of a virus, and his virtual zombies. In a turn of events reminiscent of the Batman the Animated Series, What is Reality? The group, including Bruce Wayne, become trapped in the simulation, unable to remove their headsets. But fear not, as the Internet 3.0 is installed with free Batman Incorporated antiviral software. (laughs) With this, we finally see the digital oracle that we were teased so many months ago, and a bit of a preview of what's to come, as Barbara Gordon is not paralyzed in the Internet. Oracle (laughs) proceeds to take out the zombies. However, they keep repairing themselves. Oracle says she needs to disinfect the system. We then cut to Oracle and Batman standing on a digital rooftop. The zombies dealt with, but the virus still active. We find out that one of the attendees at the meeting was a Trojan. Meanwhile, Bruce Wayne and the other business people are running, trying to find an exit when the walls close in on them and a huge grinder manifests itself on the wall. Batman appears, but is consumed by grinder. However, he respawns, just as the digital world is distorting and a disembodied voice threatens the business people. We then cut to the entire group, including Oracle and Batman, in a room where Oracle confronts Mr. Tanaka. 
the Trojan who introduced the zombie virus. Mr. Tanaka starts to take over the digital world, but is easily taken out by Oracle, who quarantines him. We then cut once again to the rooftop where Batman and Oracle are discussing everything that happened. It turns out that Tanaka intended to steal the money at the, of the billionaire business people and launder the money through Mtamba, a country formerly run by Jezebel Jet. As Oracle flies off into cyberspace, she says that she'll tell the army of Batman Incorporated that Jezebel Jet has risen from the grave. Dun, dun, dun. The no. end. Batman Incorporated number eight. I personally didn't like the art style of this. Much more realistic than some of the other things. And I don't know if that was just a play because it was supposed to be taking place in the in the internet. But even after they weren't in the internet, it wasn't really the same. So I, I can't really give the artist any props because I just did not like it at all. I, I, you know, I will give him prop for you know doing something very different than anything else we've seen in quite some time as far as in, it's in the bat books at least but just not did not like it very much i think the story you know i really wonder how much grant morrison pays these random people out in the world who have to give him all of the specifications for the specifics of some of the things he writes stories about i mean who knows if all the specific lingo that he used in reference to the internet was actually legitimate or if it was made up or if it was just like a playoff of, you know, everyday internet terms. I don't know. I got no idea, but that's one of the downfalls, I think, with some of Grant Morrison's stuff is the fact that, you know, because he uses so much lingo, specific lingo, to explain a specific situation, sometimes the story gets, you know, is harmed in that way. I think it was kind of cool to see Oracle in this digital form because, you know, it is a precursor of what's going on, going to happen. But what's really weird is that it's a completely different take on the character than what we saw in that, you know, that cover of Batman Incorporated back in, I think it was like May. Or, in, oh, yeah. A different term. That, that form of Batgirl in the digital version that was on that, that banner that Chris Burnham had at C2E2 that we we posted on the website. Very different take. And I, I get that Scott Clark's art is gonna be very different than Chris Burnham, but we never actually saw version that we that you know that Chris Burnham showed on that cover. So that to me just that didn't make it a lot of sense because this didn't look anything like that. It wasn't just like this digital thing that was all one color. There was multiple colors. It was like a, you know they were living in a completely alternate reality, which is what they were going for, but that doesn't come across as this digital avatar like they, they perceived with that initial image that, that in some ways leaked. Overall, you know, it's interesting that Jezebel Jet's going to play a, play a role in this. I can't say that it's, you know, it's I didn't see it coming. I mean, I didn't see it coming, but at the same time, Morrison, it would make sense of how all of this stuff plays into each other is the fact that you know, he's bringing up elements from his past stories. It has been some time since Jezebel Jet has been seen. And truth be told, you know, I, I did think she was eliminated. I guess Talia Ghoul is not as good as everyone says. With that being said, I'm going to give this three out of five batterings. Oh, this was confusing, but hey, you know, so have most of the Batman Incorporated issues that have been out. <sighs> The ending to this felt very, very cliché to me. Like, you know, Bruce takes, like, this is a plot that's been used in so many forms of media, not just with Batman, but in fiction in general. Like, people have a demonstration, 
things go wrong, and at the end, you know, the guy giving the demonstration, in this case, Bruce is like, oh, I'm sorry, everyone. And then the group's like, are you kidding? That was the best day ever. And, like, this one guy's like, my asthma's cured. And then, like, this, these other, like, board members are like, and we fell in love with each oh other. Oh, my God, I hate that. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's like, this was the best day ever, Bruce. <laughs> we want to buy all of your internets. <laughs> <laughs> that was otherwise you know visually this was a pretty cool issue and i liked as much as i laughed at joe's recap because these are ridiculous things to say out loud the oracle internet avatar is cool and logistically that would be the next step for oracle if she you know was going to stay in this new generation if she was going to stay oracle which she's not but we're talking about current comics right now current i mean Otherwise, this was fun, cliches aside. You know, confusing but fun. I'm going to give it four out of five batterings. I thought this was a very fun experiment. And after after going to San Diego and seeing Grant Morrison talk a lot, I think, if nothing else, the guy likes to experiment with the comic book medium. And I thought this was a very fun try. It reminded me mostly of Reboot, like that, that three-dimensional cartoon series about people living in a computer, which I really liked. And I... Have you guys read Digital Justice? Batman Digital Justice? Uh, you know, the funny thing is I have it sitting on my shelf, but it's still wrapped in the shrink wrap. Yeah, I see it on my shelf a lot, and I kind of skim through it every now and then. I've never actually gone and bought it. I know the third part in this story is called Digital Justice, which is a reference to that story. I don't remember exactly what went on. I think Batman had to jump into the internet and fight crime like this. But um, I, I kind of wish that... I had read it more just just to see if that was if there was any references to that story, because that been cool. But I thought this is a, this is a very very fine, uh, decent comic book story. It's it's sort of along the lines of Arkham City and its simplicity, but the way it uses the medium with the art, I, I actually really like the art. The art was it was a little hard to see sometimes just because of the the several like bright and shiny colors, but I liked the various their variations of it, and I really liked how. Batman and Bruce Wayne were at two places at once. I thought that was pretty pretty cool, and that had a nice dilemma to, to, to Bruce's Batman thing. I went with Josh. I didn't like the ending, especially when the people said we fell in love. That's where the face hit the palm. I liked how Oracle was using the story. <laughs> it's a great final way to see her before she's uh, reverted back to Batgirl. I'll give this three and a half out of five batterings. First of all, I hated the art. And, I mean, I really hated it. Although, I did think it was kind of clever because it was I mean I'm not sure if it was genuine CGI or if it was just made to look like it but I still thought it was a, an excellent idea and I think it was fully justified I just thought it made the book seem quite cheap because whilst being quite technically impressive it just created like very static images like there, there didn't seem to be any movement in them and the composition of them was often quite boring or even confusing because most of the book I didn't know what was going on. As for the actual story, like I said, I, I didn't really know what was going on most of the time and I found it to be quite a throwaway issue, quite dull. The only thing is it's not a throw issue because it's obviously got the thing with Jezebel Jet tying it into Batman Inc, making it probably quite important. The other thing is and I'm not sure if this is the intention or not, but you know, mentioning the small country in Africa and things like that, I wonder if this is justifying Batwing, or if that's com- going to be completely unrelated. But 
I'm going to give this issue two out of five batterings. That's going to give Batman Incorporated number eight a total of three out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batman number 713. Bat message. Some people never learn, but Professor Irwin certainly learned something today. Batman number 713 is written by Fabian Saiza with a wide range of artists, which I'll go into a little bit later. The entire issue can be summed up very quickly. Essentially, what we're talking about is it's kind of like an epilogue of Dick Grayson as told by Damian Wayne. The entire thing is talking about the history of Dick Grayson first becoming Robin, then growing a little bit rebellious and turning into Nightwing. Essentially, then as he's Nightwing, realizes that Batman and him have very different opinions on how things should be done. Tells the story of how Batman ended up getting another Robin who quickly died. And then Tim Drake came on, and then as time progressed, a wide range of Batman family characters were added to the mix. Eventually, Batman leaves, or so-called dies, and there's a battle for the cowl, and ultimately Dick Grayson becomes Robin. Essentially, that's the story. There's not really a whole lot more to it other than uh, Damien as Robin actually learns a lesson on it's not always who you would expect to be the bad guy is the bad guy. And that's the difference that between Bruce and Dick is that sometimes it's not as black and white as it appears to be. Damien's telling this to a bunch of kids at a survivor's benefit and issue ends with Dick and Damien leaving the benefits to go patrol the streets of Gotham. I think Batman as a series with 713 issues could have used a much better ending. It is appropriate in some senses that Batman number one started out with Dick Grayson being Robin and it goes out with Dick Grayson being Batman. In some sense that's appropriate. But the problem is that overall I just I think the story just wasn't that great. I don't think that we needed this giant over you know overlook of the, the career of Dick Grayson overall. I think in regards to that, it was just a little overdone, and I would imagine that going out 713 issues, we could have got something a little bit better. There were so many different artists on this, and I think that part of it had to do with the fact that they were all, a lot of them were, were doing a specific time frame for the art, and that's why there were so many artists, and there was a wide range of different time frames to, that took place during the story. But I think it, it kind of distracted in some senses instead of like actually appealing more towards the era that the original stories appeared in there was only like the Jim Aparo uh, throwback was kind of interesting um, but besides that I didn't really find the art to be great and I think whoever did the final pages in the issue I think did a pretty bad job so I don't think this was good I think it could have done it could have been a lot lot better so I'm gonna give this one out of five batterings I enjoyed this and this is a great way the show where Damien is now at the end of his Batman and Robin partnership with Dick as opposed to where he was at the beginning and I was talking to Don earlier today and I'm really 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 sick of like other people on the internet like it's like I said this about Jason Todd earlier in the show you maybe read one story with Damien Wayne in it two or three years ago and you keep on making the joke like oh Damien's Robin now ha 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 yeah you know he's so annoying it's like have you read a story like 
And then even when he shows up in other books, like, they just act him like, you know, he, he's changed and he's grown. And that was the point of Damien. Like, that was the whole idea that, like, he was this obnoxious kid who was learning not to be so obnoxious. And what I really, really love is the payoff, this issue that we get of his relationship with Dick. He he holds Dick in, in a reverence now. He respects Dick, and he's proud to be Dick's partner and friend. And after all that we went through, that's pretty cool. So this is a very, very good redeeming moment for Damien. And I love him talking to those kids. And, like, they, when they interrupt him, he's like, can I continue? Instead of, like, two years ago, he would have been like, let me finish or I'm going to put your face in a meat grinder. Because I'm Damien Wayne and everything I say is violent. So I like the art. And I love seeing the disco Nightwing suits. Although, yes. like, it was really weird. They're like, and then after he became Nightwing... He left Gotham, which isn't quite how it happened, but, you know, a minor detail. I'll, I'll let them slide. <laughs> I'm going to have to get used to letting those things slide, especially with September around the corner. This was fun, and a great character study of Dick Grayson's time as Robin, a great character study of his partnership with Damien and, and of Damien in general. I, You know what? I'll, I'll give it five out of five batterings. I agree with Josh. I really enjoyed this. I think where Detective Comics ended its legendary series on a really good note with a story, this sort of ended the legacy of Batman and Robin. I think this is a, a study of Batman and Robin more so than Dick Grayson because, I, because, like Dustin said, that title began with, like, the first cover is Batman and Robin swinging, and there are several images of the dynamic duo together fighting crime and just the history of the two of the most iconic crime-fighting partners in comic books – and the fact that their identities aren't explicitly we, we always we obviously know the character beats here, but their identities aren't explicitly stated. So it's very good for a third red audience to read into this and just know the history of Batman and Robin. And this being the last issue of the modern continuity, I think it sort of serves very well. If you would like to read consecutively all the Batman issues, if you had like a lot of time on your hands, I think this reads very well. It shows. Dick Grayson was there from nearly the very beginning and where he is right now. And it makes the whole story of him being Batman and Damian Wayne as Robin seem all that more important. You have Tim Drake in there. You have Jason Todd, obviously. You have all the other side characters mentioned. You have what led to Dick being Batman and Damian as Robin. And for the history to be made into a story that way, I felt it came across very, very well. To me, it reminded me a lot of that episode from The Brave and the Bull, The Knights of Tomorrow, where you have... Dick, Dick, is ba- Dick is Batman, Damien is Robin in that episode. I really liked that episode because it was more on the, on the legacy of Batman and Robin. And it was, just, it was sort of celebrating them while sh- uh, showing how the characters grow into those roles. And a lot of this last couple of, issue, uh, last couple of years in Batman has been about that. So to have that sort of focus here, I think Fabian Asaiza really redeemed himself in my personal eyes by giving a really good send-off to these characters. I really liked how Damian Wayne, of all people, was, was talking to basically Bob Kane, Bill Finger, and Jerry Robinson. It was a little less than subtle, but it was it was still nice. I, I didn't dislike it. And I liked the fact that they were at a Quake Survivor's Benefit, referencing the earthquake from Cataclysm. I think this, this story hit all the beasts. It didn't have to be fantastic and amazing to be a perfect end to the Batman title. So I'll, I'll agree with Josh. I, I seriously was going to, from the start, give this 5 out of 5 batterings. I thought this was really poor and just very half-assed. It, to me, it just read like an illustrated Wikipedia entry. So there's no emotion in it. And 
not much of a story. It was just this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. It picked up a little bit when I realised it was Damien narrating it, but that just couldn't save it. So I'm going to give this half a batarang. And over on the website, Dane gave the issue three and a half out of five batarangs. So he's going to give the issue three out of five batarangs. Let's move into our last issue, Gotham City Sirens, number 26. I sleep. Pamela? You look great. Especially for a dead woman. Hello, Jason. Gotham City Sirens, number 26. Written by Peter Calloway. Illustrated by Ajay Skarnal. This issue, basically, not only does it end the, uh, the, the ex-friends arc going on with the sirens, but it also ends the title. After a very gruesome and pointless image of a cat killing a rat, we find Catwoman battling Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn. Ivy is all out for blood, using her powers to extraneous amounts, having these vines come out of nowhere through sewer systems and attack her. While in the background of the fighting imagery, we see scenes from the earlier, earlier in the runs from the very beginning of Catwoman saving Ivy and or no Ivy and Harley, and Catwoman fighting the character from the first issue. We see Harley and Ivy demanding Catwoman to know who Batman is, which is a major thing in this title. And basically, Catwoman is trying to convince them, you know, I know what you want, but you want to kill me, but you don't, you don't know, realize the truth. And the police are flying by in a police helicopter about to stop them. Ivy destroys them in one shot. So Gordon's watching this from afar, and Batman arrives, says, no, 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 don't arrest them. Give them 10 minutes. But unless they start killing people or destroying the city before that, let them talk. This is between them. and You have no right to interfere. <laughs> he, doesn't say, he doesn't say that, but that's, that's the semantics, and I don't like it. So, eventually, Catwoman is subdued by Harley and Ivy. Instead of Ivy shoving a tree right through her head, she listens to Selena's story, which flashes back to the first issue when they fought Bone Blaster. That's the guy's name. And what she's revealed is that she was meant, even though she was recovering from her heart removal surgery from Detective Comics, she still could have taken on that guy alone. And she was meant to sort of have Harley and Ivy on her side by Batman because Batman wanted Harley and Ivy sort of under control while it was sort of, it was sort of that adjustment period between Bruce going back and forth in time and Dick Grayson becoming Batman. So Ivy doesn't really believe her at all. Well, Harley does, and but Ivy is so ticked off, screaming at Batman that she summons all these trees and vines, and basically begins to annihilate Gotham City. And seriously, I I can't see how this this doesn't alert like the entire Justice League and have her knocked out in two seconds. But I digress. Bruce Wayne Batman shows up, swings by, and is kicked to the ground by Catwoman, saying, "How dare you manipulate me? You can never do that because I'm Catwoman." So while Harley and Ivy are, are arguing what to do, Catwoman says that she's bought them some time to escape from being sent back to Arkham. Ivy's about to run off. Harley says to her, I'm not going with you. And then she says, what? And then she says, Ivy, listen to me. Okay, now I'm ready. Let's go. So after that confusing scene, the series and title ends with Catwoman fighting Batman. The end. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> 
Gotham Sea Sirens. Number 26. I think this was an interesting issue because it did wrap up everything from the very beginning. Now, that, that kind of has been happening for the last couple issues, but I think Peter Calloway did a decent job at making sure that this just doesn't feel like he stretched it as you know, further than he needed to. It's not saying he didn't stretch it, but I don't think it was stretched as thin as uh, some of the other series out there that uh, had a, their last issues come out this month and even in some cases last month. It's interesting to see in the end how, you know, as much as it is very hard to believe that Paul Dini came up with the concept of Catwoman manipulating Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn into this based off of a manipulation that was happening to herself by Batman. I don't know that Paul Dini came up with the idea. I have to, I would probably think that Peter Calloway just kind of took what he had f that Paul Dini did, kind of worked with it to make it seem like everything ties back into the very first issues of the series. Overall, I, I mean, the art's the same art that we've seen for a while. It's, it's nothing special. Um, you know, at least uh, the women aren't over-accentuated more than, more than uh, they need to be. You know, at least Poison Ivy's wearing a little bit more clothes than what she's wearing in Batman Arkham City. But I think Callaway did a decent job at, at tying it up a lot of things. And in general, I think he did a decent job. And I, I, I'm curious to know if this is actually leading into, you know, Catwoman. Because obviously Catwoman's going to be on her own. If this is actually in some ways leading up to the Catwoman number one. And also have to wonder how Poison Ivy ends up with the Birds of Prey. But then again, this might not have anything to do with that. Or it might. Who knows? We won't know until, you know, those issues come out. So, I'm going to give this three out of five batterings. Batman shows up like, no, let them talk. Like, okay. And then Poison Ivy destroys, like, a bunch of buildings, you know, causes collateral damage with her awesome tree powers. Which, I said this when I reviewed the first city of Gotham City Sirens. Remember when she was just a girl that liked plants, and she could, like, make potions? Now, like, she can control any plant anywhere. She can make trees come out of the ground. Why doesn't she just make a tree come out of the ground and impale Catwoman through the chest? How has Batman been able to beat her all these times? If she can do that to a building, like, then, then this person would be unstoppable. I'm so tired of, like, her exaggerated powers. And then the whole, like, no, don't stop. And then this whole, like, thing, like, everyone's making deals with everyone, like... Wasn't the Penguin involved in this? Didn't they have, like, a secret plan that they were going to do or something that we were supposed to find out about this issue? Well, forget about that. Whatever. Like, this whole thing, like, Ivy, I won't go with you. I had to reread that scene a few times. Like, I didn't understand what that was. And then, like, Batman's like, Catwoman's like, I'll get them, Batman. But it's a different Batman. And she's like, how dare you manipulate me? I don't know what you're talking about. And then Catwoman's saying, quick, go before Batman comes. But he's... Everyone has different allegiances. This thing, this... I used to like this series. I used to like this series. <laughs> I did. Everyone else on the podcast say, this series used to be fun. This series used to make sense. This series used to be, you know, a, you know, a right thing of lightheartedness. And now, now, it's, now it's just over, and I'm glad it is. One out of five batterings. It's funny that you should say that, because I don't remember it being any of those things. But the cheesecake, the wonderful cheesecake, this issue was pants. And I'll explain why. First of all, Catwoman has such a self-righteous attitude about her 
I know she's a very strong, independent female character. I hate saying that phrase. But there are ways to write that, and this she, co- she just comes off as very, very self-righteous and uppity in this thing. And I don't think it's justified at all, especially with Batman. She, like... Do they not realize they're dealing with Poison Ivy here, who is a supervillain? I don't get the fact that, like, they're... they're oh, no, we, we can handle this. Like, like Josh said... Dick Grayson Batman shows up behind Gordon and says, no, let them alone. Let them talk for like, like, why did you not take, did you not punch these people back to Arkham not two or three issues ago? Why are you doing this? Either Dick Grayson or Bruce Wayne, that no, they would never, never like just wait for them to talk. They can talk when they're in prison, when they're one phone call a month or whatever. That's what they can talk. Because that's not as important as, like, the massive amounts of, like, catastrophic damage that Poison Ivy is somehow doing with her super-duper plant powers. Which, I agree. I mean, like, I honestly don't... When was she supposed to be this powerful? I mean, she, she can be, I guess, but, like, but when? It's just convenient for the plot is what it is. It's not as though Batman forced him to, like, work at, work at a, a strip joint or anything. Batman manipulated me so we could not be in jail together. How dare he do Like, the anger is so misplaced here. I can't stand it. I can't stand these characters because these are the main protagonists. But these characters are idiots because they're mad at the other person who had the good, gracious generosity to not to put them in an insane asylum where they frequently are the majority of their lives. How dare you, Batman? Get over yourself. And then the storytelling is not very good because Harley's like, no, no, Ivy, I'm not going with you. Listen to me. I'm ready. Okay. Like, like, what? What, what happened there? I, and, and like, you can't end an issue to save their lives. I can't stand like this whole angst against Batman because it's a lot like Red Robin. Batman's in the right. It's well, no, he's not in the right because he lets him go for ten minutes. But it's unjustified anger to make Batman look like this morose character who just needs to lighten up or whatever. But these characters, all three of them, are idiots and they're insane for doing what they're doing. Ugh, zero out of five batterings. These people probably got their apartment destroyed by Poison Ivy. And, like, they're, like, crying because, like, it's their life savings and they can't afford it and they were upside down their mortgage. And they're like, why? Why? Now we have to live on the street. It's because Batman wanted to let them talk for a few minutes. Oh, well, that's understandable. <laughs> I agree with everything my co-hosts have said. And I, still, right. prefer it. I still prefer it to Batman. Oh. <laughs> You do. I found the art to be the same as it's always has been. So sometimes really off, other times I really love it, especially the composition. I'm not sure how I feel about Andres Grinaldo because it's so inconsistent. But I say overall, overall I do like the art. Poison Ivy is again massively overpowered. It is overpowered because she's probably the most powerful Batman villain, if not villain in the DC Universe at the moment, and she has powers like that. And then to be able to take it down, it's... Like Don said, it's written however the writer wants to write her, just for, as a plot device. It seems to vary so much. But I'm going to give this story two out of five batterings. So that is going to give Gotham City Sirens number 26 one and a half batterings. That is all our comic reviews, so let's throw it over Nick with Bad Books for Beginners.
Greetings and welcome back to another edition of Bat Books for Beginners. My name is Nick and if you're new to this segment, this is where I review a particular Batman story or trade paperback from the past. I've been working my way through from Batman Year One to the latest book, so I'm about halfway through. Um, and it's been a great ride and I encourage you to join me on the um, journey through the Dark Knight's career. Today, I'm looking at a story arc called The General. This was written by Chuck Dixon, who seems to be a bit of a pioneer of this time in Batman comics. And the art's provided by Michael Netzer, who's um, a new face to me. Um, He's also worked on A Legends of the Dark Knight Annual a few years ago. And he's also uh, worked on lots of other DC characters, including Green Arrow, The Huntress, and Jonah Hex. So it's a new artist for me. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. Uh, The book came out in 1992, and it was part of a story arc in the Detective Comics series called The General, and it was in issues 654, 655, and 656. Uh, So, without further ado, let's find out who this General is. So we begin to learn of a young boy who's at a military academy who's being bullied there. He lives through books specifically about warfare. Um, He seems to be a fanatic in that area. He's also very curious about the mysterious Batman. Now, um, he decides to destroy the military academy that he's working at. He burns it to the ground and he travels to Gotham. And he manages to impress a rather wasteful gang who begin to see the potential in him and begin to follow his orders, which does gain them uh, some success and notoriety, and they steal a load of guns from an armory. Batman is made aware by the commissioner. We soon learn the boy's plans to unite all of the gangs of Gotham under his banner. Then he truly will have the empire that he wants. So the gang fights begin to break out, and uh, the kid succeeds mostly. He begins to conquer the city. Um, There is one moment when he is uh, almost held hostage by one of the gang leaders in frustration. Batman arrives to see this and thinks that this is an innocent kid being held hostage. He risks his life to save the boy, and when he turns his back, uh, the kid knocks him off a balcony. So the kid now believes that the biggest gangs have been beaten. He thinks that Batman has also been beaten, and everyone else has joined him. So next he targets the last remaining bastion of Gotham, the police force. So the police station is then under attack from all sides and the boy is about to taste victory with the police defeated. Then Batman arrives. He manages to subdue many of the gang and he confronts the general. Uh, The police arrive then to sort out the situation and as the boy tries to escape, Batman grabs him and hands him over to the cops. As he does so, a mysterious hawk observes and arrives on a man's arm. The man then reports to a massive hulking figure sitting in an armchair and he tells him about Batman's performance against the boy and this big guy states that it's pointless watching Batman fight thugs from a distance. They need to test him against the best. We then learn that the boy's name is Ulysses Grant and we get to see his parents deal with the news of their boy's recent behaviour. And then finally... Alfred arrives at Bruce's bedroom to provide the injured Bruce 
with some breakfast, but finds him asleep in a chair in his bat suit. Uh, this worries Alfred because Bruce is clearly running out of energy and um, maybe can't quite handle everything that's going on at the moment. So I quite enjoyed this story. One thing I forgot to mention in the review was that we also got the introduction of Renee Montoya in this story. She was with Harvey Bullock, although they didn't really have a lot to do in this story arc. It was interesting to see the two of them, and I thought the very brief moment we had with them was very good. Um, now, the the character of the general, um, or Ulysses Grant, as we find out at the end of the story, um, I thought that boy's character was really interesting. It really showed that knowledge is power. That's the key of the story here, I think. Um, intelligence and knowledge and knowing how to manipulate people, that's stronger than just brute force. Maybe that's foreshadowing um, Bane a little bit, as we know he will be arriving soon. But I like the look of Ulysses Grant too. I thought the artist got that spot on. Um, I thought getting the gangs to follow him uh, a, a little far-fetched, but, but his age does sort of hide his true character, which I think the, he uses to great effect. He's ruthless, he's happy to kill... And I thought he was an engaging villain. I mean, very often I read these stories, a new villain turns up, and to be honest, they're not very impressive. So I thought this was quite rare in a new character, and um, I really enjoyed him as a villain. Uh, the cover to issue 655, with Batman facing off against the general, was uh, superb, one of the, a really great cover. Um, I thought the art in general felt a bit edgier than the recent books I've read. Um, one thing I wasn't too keen on was the 90s style gang names like the Bad Boy Runners and the OGs. Um, those feel a little bit dated now, which is a shame. Bruce and Alfred have some interesting chemistry in the in this book. Alfred is really beginning to fear uh, and he's constantly worrying for Bruce. He's returning tired and injured most nights. And Bruce is struggling to keep up with all the physical work he has to do, something that will feature in the upcoming stories in Nightfall. Um, it was also interesting to see Harold Allner is still around. Um, he had a brief appearance. I'd forgotten about him since the, I believe it was the Penguin Affair when he first arrived. And Batman took him in, so good to see that Harold's still hanging about. But he is frustrating Alfred, I think. Um, I really enjoyed the attack on police, almost like Assault on Precinct 13, something like that. And um, I thought it was a good ending, and um, especially the sort of brief teaser for the build-up of Nightfall. So, really good story. Um, got a lot in it. Simple, short, but um, a good a good story. So I'll be giving it a 4 out of 5 Batarangs. So next time, we'll get to learn a little bit more about that hulking character that I mentioned at the end of this story. I'm going to be covering The Vengeance of Bane. Now, this is a one-shot from 1993. So if you don't know a lot about this, the new movie villain from The Dark Knight Rises, Bane, well, um, this will give you his comic book origin. So you'll get to learn where he began, and um, it will give you a great setup going into Nightfall. So... That's Bat Books for Beginners for this time. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, you can always email me t at nick at thebatmanuniverse.net or go on the forums. Now I'll send you back to Dustin and the guys. See ya.
that's bad books for beginners. Let's get into our discussion for this episode, which is. You say yes. I say no. You say stop. But I say go, go, go. Oh, no. You say goodbye. And I say hello. final episode of the comic cast for josh now josh has been on the comic cast since practically the very beginning he's obviously been on other podcasts but essentially i'll let josh explain exactly why he's leaving it's not because we're kicking him off by any means so josh go ahead i've just been feeling really really conflicted ever since they announced the new dc stuff and i've kind of gone back and forth on it and it's there's been a lot of things about that have seemed disingenuous to me, and I'm not, I'm not going to get into too much of it. But basically, I realized that I was, you know, not going to be reading a lot of the new DC stuff. And honestly, I'm going to check it out over curiosity purposes. But I wish them luck in what they're doing. I really do, because if this thing works out, this can be great for comics. You know, like comics can become more mainstream again. Like that would be a great thing. And for that, I wish them the success. I don't like that they're erasing some history stuff, and I don't like that they're being disingenuous about it. And I, you know, by saying everything's the same, but then they're giving these characters new origins and saying that it's not the same. And those solicitations are saying meet Catwoman, meet Supergirl. It's that's the <laughs> type of stuff. And when it does that, it's telling me I'm not the intended audience anymore. They're after a new audience. And it's like, if I'm not the audience, then what am I doing? And it's really, really hard to go cold turkey, so I'm going to be checking out these comics. But because of how I feel about them right now, I don't feel it's appropriate for me to review them on the comic cast. I don't know. I don't feel that I can be objective over them at the moment. And, you know, who knows how I'll feel six months or a year from now or ten years from now or something. But right now, you know... I need to take a step back, you know, and let this new DC settle and see how I feel about it, you know. Uh, the time on the comic podcast has been like, this is, I've been, I, I have, I've had this Beatles podcast, which I haven't updated in over a year for just because life's gotten busy, but I was doing that for a while, but I've always been a comic fan. And of all the comic podcasts that I'm on, the Batman Universe comic podcast was the first. And it's it's been since 2008. I mean, we went through the end of Batman R.I.P., Battle of the Cowl, you know, and if it wasn't for being on the Batman Universe comic podcast, like, I probably would not have been motivated to go to San Diego two years in a row, so those have been good experiences. My life has been better for it, and... What I've said off air is, you know, this is a damn good site, you know, and I'm proud to be a part of it, you know. Uh, I should probably, you know, be be a bigger part of it now, and <laughs> that uh, just to like pull my weight, you know, with those late articles and stuff. But it's it's a damn good site to be a proud of. And if it wasn't for that, you may have, you know, not have been around as much because I've been burned out on some of the Batman books, and this thing was kind of, you know, a little bit of a push. 
and it's n- never say never, you know. I mean, um, I I might be if if Dustin doesn't, you know, lock the door behind me, you know, I might be back for some things here or there. I have ideas for blog stuff and podcast specials that you know I'll pitch to Dustin, and then it's up to me and my motivation to put them out. So you might see those in 2013. <laughs> Josh definitely isn't going anywhere. He's just not going to be on this podcast. We're already planning some other things. Like he said, things for the site, uh, specific articles and things like that, series, um, also some specials. He's not leaving the Batman universe. He's just leaving the comic podcast. He's not going to be a regular host on this podcast. So... The idea behind this is, you know, with the relaunch, it's actually the perfect time for this to actually happen. Because he's conflicted with it, you know, we have to get a replacement because as nice as it would be just to have the three of us, because there's so many stinking bat books, it's nice to have four people so we're not all having to review a, a ton of books on every single episode. So because of that, we're actually bringing on board a guy by the name of John Wilson, and he is going to give kind of like a fresh perspective on the Bat books because he's not as familiar with the Batman titles because he hasn't been reading them recently. He's read Batman comics in the past. He's read some Golden Age stuff. He's read some Silver Age stuff. He's read some of the modern stuff. But for the most part, for the last, you know, since like 2006 when a lot of this Grant Morrison story stuff happened with Batman... He doesn't really know a whole lot about it. So for him to come into the comic cast and kind of be reviewing some of the books, you get that that perspective that DC keeps saying over and over and over again, hey, we're really aiming for these new readers, these people who haven't been reading them. So he's going to be giving the perspective of, well, is this book actually able to be read by somebody who doesn't know about continuity and doesn't know everything that's been going on previously? And to be quite honest, I think he's going to have a hard time with the Bat Books because there's so many changes that happened over the past few years that I don't know that you could come on as a brand new reader and just know everything there is to know. But that's what he's going to be doing. On top of that, John's also going to be writing an article weekly based off of the books that are coming out related to how exactly these books and what's happening with Batman pertains to the new readers to kind of get readers caught up to what's going on. So you can look forward to that. If you haven't listened to our relaunch special back in June, then maybe you should just skip that one and go straight to our New 52 special, which released last week. We basically go through every single series that is going to be released part of the New 52, and even some of the series beyond September going into October, and even some of the other series that we know are coming out in 2012. We go through that, we go through all the characters that are in the books, some of the predictions, we made a lot of predictions of things that are going to happen, so John is actually a part of that special as well as a number of the other staff members from the Batman universe. But more importantly, you know, Josh has been the guy who, you know, we, we've we've given him a lot of grief over, over the last couple of years because he likes to rant. And he, you know, he nip, he likes to nitpick continuity. That's why I listen to the podcast that, in the first place. Exactly, and you know that role will probably end up becoming Don's. I <laughs> be the new the new ranter and the new continuity nitpicker. But ultimately, Josh has made it interesting because I'm not the one to sit here and nitpick continuity as much as you know the next guy. But Josh does that, and he brings these points up that a lot of people don't may not even remember. And, you know, 
I've appreciated that. I know the listeners have appreciated that. And, uh, you know, I'm not even going to say we wish you the best of luck because you're not going anywhere. <laughs> Dustin wouldn't let me go anywhere, <laughs> like it or not. So with that, that's going to end this discussion. Let's go over what we'll be covering next time on the podcast. Uh, next time on the podcast, we'll be kind of covering a wide variety of different things that we normally aren't going to cover, but we will be covering on the, the next episode. Like I said, the next episode, which will be 76, we will not be renumbering like DC, but we will be producing episode number 76, which will be released in about two weeks. But we'll be reviewing a number of different series, including Flashpoint number 5 and Justice League number 1, specifically because those two are supposed to be the the explanation or lead into this new new DC, and I think that's more of Flashpoint. Justice League, I don't think, is going to have as much of an explanation of how this is all happening. And moving into September, we'll be covering Batgirl, Batwing, and Detective Comics. So a total of five books on the next episode, so a much shorter episode than normal. But like I said, don't, don't expect that to last, because DC loves to pile on books for us to review. So... Shorter episode, maybe we'll have a discussion regarding how exactly Flashpoint affected the events with the new DC. We'll have to see exactly what happens with that. So with that, that's everything for this episode. Make sure you're heading over to the website for all the up-to-date news regarding the DC relaunch and everything else related to the Batman universe. Make sure you log on to the forums and become a member. Just shoot us an email and let us know that uh, you have become a member. We'll make sure to activate your account. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. YouTube is being updated pretty much weekly at this point with new videos. So you can check those out and you can leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can always leave a comment in the section on the website as well as the forums. And, of course, email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. Definitely check out the New 52 special. We've got a nice little contest running for those of you who listen to that. In my opinion, pretty decent price, too. Some decent merchandise. So take a listen, find out the details, and find out everything you know there is to know about the New 52. So this is Dustin. You've had Josh. This is Donovan. And this is Joe. You've been listening to the Batman Universe comic podcast. We'll see you guys next time. I'll be back. Bye, Josh. Bye, DCU. Hello, DC New. Bye, Josh. I'm shedding tears as I speak. if when they announced this in 2009 it was ready in time for the Dark Knight Rises because that would have like to have this come out at the same time as Dark Knight Rises it would have helped this thing do just as well if not better than Superman Earth 1 okay real quick what are you talking about Batman Earth 1 Dark Knight Rises comes out next summer the same time you're saying this would come out oh I thought you said 2013 no 2012 (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> Something one of those nights. <laughs> you won't be TVU without it.
Uh, okay. I don't even know how much of that you can salvage. Um, I don't so, know that you can salvage any of that. Yeah, okay, let's... So, from 70 plus years of continuity changed it all coming out of the relaunch? Site's still loading, but my guess is the answer is going to be no, no, absolutely not. Just his history. In terms of the relaunch, the next time that there was a major crisis changing continuity for her to get her own book, Hmm. Maybe that's not a funny thing. I'm trying to look something up real quick because I'm uh, I'm trying I'm trying to get some information for this next uh, article. Sorry. Anybody else have any comments since I didn't actually hear the joke? No. <laughs> a fake laugh from Dustin is is worth it all. <laughs> 